one of the things that I started realizing, like I, I look at it like my life is on borrowed time, right? As a guy who was suicidal, tried to commit suicide, the whole nine, it's like, this is all gifted. This is all super fucking cool, right? But also in it being cool, I can make the experience cooler and better. As far as the boatman's concerned, it, it is exactly that. It's that concept, man, that one day you're gonna cross that river. But I'll be damned if I go either. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Zero Quit Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Hanse Bolden. He is a military combat veteran, writer, coach, and owner of Warpath Supply Company, been following you for a while and excited to talk to you, man. Get to know you on a deeper level. Yeah, man, I'm excited. Thanks. I'm glad you reached out, man. I've been following you, so it was kind of, I didn't realize it. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's kind of cool. I was thinking about it earlier. I was like, how, you know, how did I stumble upon you again? Because I think you followed me after a mutual friend of ours, Bo, had like reposted something I did. I think us three all kind of have like a shared philosophy and attitude towards life and fitness and things like that and we all like to you know write and ramble on our captions probably more than people actually read what we say <laughs> but uh but it's always good to just connect and you know another thing is is we were talking before uh we started rolling about you know, how you got involved with matt vincent and so forth is just connecting with like you know really introspective and real people and that's what i try and do with this podcast not to you know self-promote here but just like I, I don't care what someone's following is as long as i'm excited to kind of talk to you and we're going to get to like a deeper level than just small talk surface level promoting a product kind of bs and so uh it's just it's it's rewarding to have these kind of conversations meet new people and also it's funny that you actually train at a gym i would go to here or there and you know also from virginia and so forth so a little bit of a yeah, connection there as well. Yeah, I mean, man, I, I I think one of the coolest things that I've kind of discovered or implemented in my life is just that, right? Just being stoked to reach out and talk to people about something that they're excited about, even if I have no bearing or grasp on it, you know? And um, there's a difference, like one of the things I'm constantly kind of thinking about is like there's a difference between equality and friends due to distance versus yeah. just we are on the same wavelength. Yeah. Right. And so that's like you're saying with Bo, because like Bo's one of those people I haven't met in person yet. We're mm -hmm. scheduled like I'm going to bring the show out there and film a bunch of people. And, um, and he's one of those people that I was like, oh, like, oh, you get it. Yeah, he's intense. He's intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I told him before. I was like when I when I first met him, it's like he has that. I mean, it's the way he like looks, but also the, spe you know, his, his voice and tone and all that. Like he almost just seems like an asshole, like just like, like hardcore, everything super intense and he is intense, but he's also like a fun, like, you know, very welcoming dude. So that's yeah. those things, but what, what you just said about, you know, distance with friends and quality really made me think about how a lot of times our friendships and activities and interests in the things we do, we perceive them as choice and free will. But in reality, they're they're pure accidents. So, like, for example, if, you know, you work at so-and-so place that might only be because you live close to there or you might be friends with so-and-so people only because you went to high school with them. You didn't actually choose to be friends with them because they align with your values, they align with your purpose. They actually, you know, you guys have a mutual uh, benefiting relationship. You know, a lot of times things are by accident and not by our actual choice. And we kind of misunderstand the two. 
Yeah, like so one of the things like talking about not dead yet and, and mentorship groups and it's exactly that. Like I think for so long a lot of us will just like let life happen to you. It just yeah, happens. You just kinda like you you're you live down the street, I live down the street, we like pizza, cool, let's hang out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get into your, whatever age you discover it, hopefully it's earlier than later, and then you're like, wait a minute, I have control of this this thing? Yeah. And I don't have to just settle for these surface level interactions, mm-hmm. you know? And and don't get me wrong, there's a, there's a thing to be said about, there are relationships where like, this guy's good to drink a beer with. Yeah, yeah. And then this guy is, yeah. And then there's a, there's a one where it's like, all right, I need a friend tonight. Tonight yeah. I need a, I need a friend who's, we're going to, we're going to go there, whatever yeah. there is, but you know, so I, I am well aware of, of that these days because, yeah. um, uh, Bert from, um, Sorenex has a thing. It's uh-huh. one of actually one of my favorite shirts is, uh, he's got a shirt that says burn the gas. And a lot of times I think guys, when they see the shirt, they think it's about like, you know, emptying the tank and doing something very, very hardcore. But what it really is, it's about like burning the gas to get to a thing or a person or an event. And actually, like, you know, people say all the time, like, I want to do this. And you're like, burn the gas. Get there. Yeah. Let's do get it. Get to the end. Don't just, like, hover in the means. Yeah. Well, I feel like the best way to uh, always introduce a guest, let's let's take it back to a little uh, yeah, recap of, of what brings you to today. So a big part of your, your past, your history is military. So I'm wondering what drew you into joining the military because, you know, the, when I've thought about it in the past, is it kind of comes down to a couple of different categories of, of people that typically join the military. One is, you know, you're looking for the benefits of that free ride for college later on. Um, the other is generational. Your dad did it, your dad's dad did it, et cetera, and so forth. It's a family thing. And then a lot of times the other one is you just don't know what to do with your life. And, you, you know, a recruiter comes to you and they're like, hey, you want to join, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, you're looking for a purpose, this or that, and you hop into it. So did any of those fit you or what was your kind of motive for uh, getting into that? D, all of the above. All of them, yeah. So I was a young father. I was a father at 16 and a half, 17. Uh-huh. Um, thought I was going to go run track in school. I, I was a uh, knucklehead. Yeah. And so I, I didn't qualify for the, um, the clearinghouse, the NCAA clearinghouse. On top of it, I realized I was a knucklehead. Like right yeah. at the 11th hour, I was like, oh, wait, like I'm going to go to college and just piss this away. Yeah. Right. And so I had a recruiter reach out to me and I told him no, like 20 times. Mm-hmm. And then I remember one day I was sitting around and I just kind of had that, like, you're going to fuck this up. Yeah. And then it was I, almost I, like I, saving yourself from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I knew what I was. I was a party animal. I was young. I was a young kid who was interested in women and getting crazy. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, um, what's the way out of this? And my dad was a soldier, career soldier, 28 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, my entire family served. Okay. Immediate family. So mom, sister, me, everyone. My dad was the only careerist. And uh, that's what happened, man. And the 11th hour I joined, didn't tell a single soul. Mm-hmm. I think I told three people. And I just vanished and uh, <laughs> went to the army. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid, man. I, I, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2002. Uh-huh. Right when 9-11 happened, so September, next thing you know, in January, I was in Afghanistan, and uh, that was it, man. I it, I try not to make it sound too romantic, man, but there's a simplicity to war, and there's a simplicity to yeah. combat that is understated, mm-hmm. right? And just a, a simple life in general. I think most men are after 
yeah. a few things. That was literally going to be my next question was because uh, it's something that, you know, Mike Glover's talked about. And I've heard, heard from a number of different uh, ex-combat veterans is like, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you was that dichotomy between life downrange versus life back at home. Because I imagine when you're you're deployed, it is very simple. It's a singular purpose, uh, food, shelter, your exact role is very dialed in and obvious and clear you have these brothers and these you know uh, fellow soldiers that are out there with you you're being led to do x amount of mission it's very simple versus you come back home this is almost the idea too of like too much freedom can be a bad thing and you get this decision paralysis you got taxes coming in you got to worry about insurance you got to get this job you got to file for this you got to pay your tax uh you know you, you have family back home like you mentioned you have uh, a child and so forth and it's just a lot more complicated so i guess what was what was the different like mindset and mental state as you were starting to kind of explain of life downrange versus back at home i think the the easiest way i kind of like um can couch it is this when's the last time you got excited to get a package i'm always excited about packages right? dude. most people don't even think of it yeah even because they know it you know you ordered it so you know it's coming you know when it'll be there Oh, tracking number, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, for if you're a soldier and you're down range, when mail comes, that's a that's an epic event. Yeah, it's like Christmas. Still to this day, right? Yeah. And so, like, you think about the events that happen throughout your day that can be exciting or shitty. That yeah. can be a highlight. Hot showers, highlight. Yeah. Hot food, highlight. You know what I mean? And so I kind of tell people like that because I think that's a really good indicator because most people just eat and don't think about it. Mm-hmm. It never crosses your mind that this is a hot meal, right? So for some of our friends who hunt and stuff like that, that's different. They, they kind of, they get it in, in small doses. Um, but, you know, as a, so my last trip was 2021. So I was probably 39. So like 39 years old, I'm still excited to get a piece of mail. Like, like, like a kid, mm-hmm. like a kid in a candy store. And then just the simplicity of it. And then um, something I actually happened on the other, probably a couple of months ago, journaling, um, I always wanted brothers and never realized how big of a deal that was for me in the military and why the special operations community and the friends that I have are what they are mm-hmm. because wanting brothers and never having them. And then you get there and you're like, wait, we're bro. Wait, we're, we're cool. Like yeah. real cool. And so, you know, and I, and I think that there's something to um, purpose and, this idea that like, I think men are kind of, well, not just men, but, but people are kind of fed like when you're younger, like re- responsibility and accountability aren't sexy. They're yeah. not a thing that you want. And then all of a sudden you become responsible and accountable for things. And you're like, wait, this shit kind of matters. Mm-hmm. And then that weight is, it's heavy, but it's worth it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, that's kind of how I, I, I think of it because that's, I mean, that's kind of where the, the, addiction, drug, whatever you want to call it, the feeling comes from in, in my head is like, you have a singular focused, everything I've ever liked in my life are things that you have to be completely present in. There's a reason why I like archery. There's a reason why I like shooting. There's a reason yeah. why driving fast is funny, lifting heavy, mm-hmm. right? All those things take singular focus. Yeah, they kind of isolate you from the moment. And yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, yeah, working out. I have like a really busy week. I feel like I've been traveling like a lot recently and so forth. Family was in town, so and et cetera. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at my week already booked up with a bunch of freelance work and stress, but I'm like, hey, this, you know, this workout going into my garage, that's like the one time where 
I don't even have to try and not think about the overwhelm, the stress, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, but it, it does just fixate you on this rep, this, this set, and so forth. When it comes to, you know, you touched about or touched on hot showers, warm meals, mail, uh, do you think the sense of how special those moments were was more so because things were very simple and harder and you, they, they weren't as much of a commodity or is it because you were more present in that moment that you enjoyed those more so is it because like you know the re the the meal the warm meal is more rare or is it because you don't have all these other distractions that you enjoyed it more does that make sense i think i think it's the combination it's because you yeah. you can have so many cold meals cold showers mm -hmm. and then when you get a hot one you're like oh wait this is cool this is a big deal you know um Michael Easter talks about it on uh, in the comfort crisis when he came yeah. home from his long hunting trip, like how good the thir first shower felt. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and you know, I'm I'm constantly railing on about the fact that, um, you know, and it's a cooking term, right? Agridolce, sweet without the sour. Mm -hmm. Like I'll harp on this to the day I die, man. I think that's what makes life cool. Is like, if you never had a shitty event, how do you know mm -hmm. it's a good event? Yeah, right? I'm a big believer in that too. Yeah, like yeah. what is what is warmth without cold? Like that feeling of coming in after you're out in the snow, getting back warm or you're hot, getting back cool or yeah, yeah, depriving yourself of, you know, doing some very difficult, you know, whether it is a hunt, a workout, whatever. And like then once you're once you're done with that, once the dues are paid or the suffering's done, there is a greater appreciation and sweetness of life. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he touches on it all over in the comfort crisis. Yeah, people yeah. just I mean, we wonder why people are like so depressed when it's like they aren't they're they're stuck at baseline like they don't go to like high points or low points they're just stuck you know where they're at yeah it's it's you know so i, I lived in hawaii for four years um uh, and i love i love hawaii I, I have every intention of getting back to hawaii were you stationed uh, there or was this absolutely yeah, I was stationed there yeah okay. yeah and um when i was there i was very much in this mindset of like beaches and drinks yeah and that was probably one of the low points in my life. I mean, there's various other reasons why, but yeah. that attitude didn't help, right? Whereas once I introduced voluntary suffering, mm -hmm. hardness, whatever, those things, all of a sudden my life started feeling really good again, right? Because mm -hmm. you, you had that juxtaposition. Um, there's a, there's a, my very first long ruck march ever in the military. I'm like 20 years old. I don't know shit. I'm, I'm, I'm dumb, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, we get done doing a 20 mile, I think it's 20 miler. I don't remember. It's long. And um, this guy hands me an orange once I cross the finish line. And I'll never forget peeling an orange and eating it. It's the sweetest orange I've had till this day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, it's like looking under rocks. Like, where's this sweet ass orange? Because I haven't had one since. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of how, like, I look at it, you know, just with that little anecdote. It's always like those things feel so much better which is why I'm constantly, you know, trying to figure something out to. That's why to be in that I situation. always wonder, and I, I wrote like a little like Substack article about this, just because the more I read with philosophy, it's just interesting, especially with like what uh, Pascal talks about or Schopenhauer and so forth. But of uh, this idea of like happiness, like happiness is to me, it's not something you can like hold on to. It's not like a state you can reach, but it's a state you kind of go in and out of. And it's like, I don't know if we even should be chasing happiness per se, but more learn to be content in all, you know, mental states or all situations. 
you know, like learn to appreciate or be uh, patient when you're in those dark moments for those greater moments, you know, because again, like we just talked about, you can't just hold on to that happiness or it becomes that hedonic treadmill where you're just always looking for the next high. But referencing that uh, sweet orange, uh, I ran this trail with my buddy uh, Saturday, or yeah, Saturday, and I hadn't been there in a while, but the first time I ran it, it's on Air Force Academy here in Colorado Springs. First time I ran it, all trails said it was like a 15-mile loop or something like that, or 13. Well, it was a little wrong from where you, you park and start. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I am I run out of water probably at like uh, two hours in. I was like, well, I only have like an hour left, uh, maybe like six, seven miles. I'll, I'll be at the car soon. I'll be good. So I use up my water. I get to uh, about like mile 13. I'm like three hours in, and I'm like, oh, shit, where is the car? This isn't the parking lot. And I realize I'm a good, like, maybe two, three miles away. And at this point, not only am I cotton mouth, thirsty as hell, tired, three hours yeah. in, but my tongue is, like, dry to the touch. Like, there's no saliva anymore. And so I'd mm -hmm. never felt that thirsty before. So I, get, I start getting worried. I wander on over to, like, the road that I know leads to, like, the car, maybe a little bit of a shortcut instead of following the trail. And uh, I nervously start kind of waving down like a hitchhiker, a car. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, someone just kind of drove me down like the quarter mile to my car. But I, you know, drink some water, drive immediately to the closest Chick-fil-A. And I had a Powerade for the first time in like a decade. And that Powerade <laughs> was like the sweetest thing yeah. I'd ever had. It tastes better than any drink. I wanted nothing else. And uh, yeah, so it just it made me think of that. But uh, <laughs> transitioning a little bit along. Uh, so you exited the military. Tell me about that transition, uh, you know, and, and what kind of led to it. Because, you you know, you referenced, you know, I think you said your father was a careerist and so forth. But it sounded like you wanted, uh, yeah, you were pivoting in your life. Yeah. So my career, my exit was tumultuous at best. Yeah. Right. Um, I was going through a divorce. Um, I was a terrible husband. So we'll go. We'll, we'll talk about this. real quick. I was a terrible husband. Right. So, and so with saying that I was going through a divorce and then the woman that I was leaving my wife for also then left me mm -hmm. and leaving the military, which is essentially a, uh, the way my therapist talked about it when, it, when all this happened, she's like, this is experiencing three deaths at one time. Yeah. Those are big, yeah. three big hits. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this isn't fun. And I'd already been in a really bad spot yeah. just for a, a variety of reasons. You know, um, lack of accountability in my own life, um, some some PTSD, all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. I just didn't I didn't handle or take things like I should have, right? And yeah. so that was pretty rough, right? So you're going from 2017, 2018-ish time frame, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, the way I kind of tell everyone is, it's like one of those scenes in a movie where the guy's falling, and he's trying to catch a branch to save his life. That's where I was at. I was in that position where I was just like, I knew I wanted to live even though I still felt suicidal, but I'm just trying to grasp onto anything. I'm yeah. like, I, if I can just catch a branch, catch a reason. And um, I read The Power of Habit. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. Power of Habit and Atomic Habits. I read both of them around the same time. Yeah. And one of the things that he said in there, cause I realized like my dad, you know, uh, my dad's my hero, man. And so like, mm -hmm. My dad always used to say this thing. He'd be like, um, habits make the man, right? Like your habits are what are going to make you accountable to whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the big deals is that I, um, I had shitty habits, a terrible yeah. habits at the time. 
And I remember reading that little line where he's like, if the biggest way to change your habits is to change your environment. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, life downrange was simple as a soldier. So it's got to be as simple as a contractor. So I went back downrange. One, I hated the job I had. That's a whole different, that's a thing about environments. Yeah. But um, so I went back downrange because I was like, if there's a way to change your habits, it's going to be this simple environment where you can start to do the things you're supposed to be doing or need to do or just figure it out, which my biggest reason at the time was I was trying to find a way to fall in love with my life. And mm -hmm. so um, Tate Fletcher's a buddy of mine, and Tate mm -hmm. is the one who's the first person I ever had heard say that. And so that became like kind of my little journal prompt to myself. Try to find a way to fall in love with your life every day. Simple things, big things, trying to find gratitude. I'm not a very gracious person by, by nature. Yeah. Um, and so that's what it was. It was to go down range and just figure it the fuck out. Like I, I was spiraling. I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any systems or processes or even ways to kind of think about what was going on. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you really think about it, even now, like when you talk about men's mental health, mm -hmm. everyone talks about men's mental health, but they don't talk about necessarily a way out. They just want to go, let's be aware. And my I see what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like awareness over solution. Yeah, and yeah. my thing at this point is like, I just want to solve these problems. Yeah. Even if the solution is, you have to deal with this for the next 40 years, but here's how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I actually just heard a recently a, a therapist on some podcast and he was talking about one of the things that we don't do with modern um, psychology is we don't undiagnose people. You're just diagnosed for life. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And he was like, that's not the point. He was like, the point is to get to a point where you can get rid of the said diagnoses. And so that just kind of became the deal. It was like, I knew I, I was good at work. I knew I would have a lot of. I don't want to say free time because it wasn't free time, but alone time. Yeah. And I just started trying to dig out, as I call it. Yeah, man. So you you, you skipped ahead on the questions I was going to ask, which is it, which is completely fine. We'll come back to the uh, a concept of PTSD because I want to I want to dig into that and you know different psychedelics and how those are being incorporated more. But you know, since you talked about uh, therapy and so forth, I I have like I've had ch a very flexible changing view on on therapy on depression on mental health you know I, I was never a oh like it's not real or it's not important or tough it out I was never that but I just I feel like it, it's one of those things where you know how it's being presented or what they're telling you is you know there's something fishy about it. you know like they're lying to you or there's something wrong about the accepted or the common approach you know mm -hmm. like like you said, people get diagnosed and that's almost a like a life sentence and therapy is almost just used as like as the solution, as the end all be all. It's almost as people who face depression and I've had so many friends, you know, that are, are this way. They get diagnosed, they get prescribed SSRIs or whatever medication and there's really no other you know, solution or tools that are offered to them. They're just supposed to keep showing up to their, to their therapy yeah. sessions, keep taking medication. And it's like, well, what, do, I mean, what are we doing here? Is this person supposed to rely on this medication for their entire life? That doesn't sound like a solution 
that serves the individual. It sounds like a solution that serves the therapist or the doctor who's, who's profiting. It sounds like it's serving the pharmaceutical industry. And like you said, like awareness is great, but why are men depressed? Like what, what are the multiple yeah. factors that are generally causing men to be depressed, to feel lonely, to feel isolated, to feel purposeless in society? What, like what is, where, where are these trends coming from? Where are they going? And what tools besides pharmaceuticals or besides therapy, therapy has its place, which we can get to, but like, you know, I, I really feel like people have to not only self-define their own purpose, but also learn to um, almost like self-manage themselves, not self-diagnose. I'm like missing the word now, but just, uh, you know, work on yourself. You need to understand yourself. And sometimes it's really uncomfortable and you, you deal with really dark moments, but you got to conceptualize and think about it. I think maybe one way you do it is through writing and, and so forth, but it's just, I don't know. That's a word salad there, but wherever, whatever. No, jumped I, out to I, you, so I, I, I hear you. And I, so I, I'll be the first to tell you, man, like, um, I had a very tumultuous relationship with therapy for a long time. I still do. Yeah. Um, but the way I kind of think of it now is I have a problem with specific types of therapy for specific types of people. Yes. Right. And yeah. so the way I'll say this is my therapist is known for talking to special operations soldiers because so here I'll back up. Um, we'll use something a bit, a bit broader for everyone. Physical therapy, right? You hurt yourself. You go into physical therapy and there's, in my estimation, there's two types of physical therapists, right? There's really aggressive ones. And then there's ones who just want to get you back to baseline, whatever your yep. baseline is. Yeah. I can't deal with physical therapists or Kairos or anything in that profession who are like, maybe we should just stop squatting. Mm -hmm. Like we're not doing that. So don't, that's not why I'm here. Yeah. I'm here because I'm going to do this. So put Humpty Dumpty back together mm -hmm. or help me figure it out. Even if that means, Hey, you can do this, but it's going to suck and you're going to be in pain mm -hmm. or you have to find an alternative, which means a kettlebell or I don't know, whatever. But I don't want to come in. And the very first thing you're, you're offering me is let's just not do this thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I look at therapy with, a lot of men and specifically like whatever your thing is. It's like you walk into them and they're like, Hey, don't do this. And I'm like, mm, that's not what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, well, it's like I the won't. classic uh, meme where the doctor, you know, you walk in, you're like, my shoulder hurts when I do this. And they go, well, stop doing that. All right. Here's yeah. you pay me a hundred bucks or, <laughs> you know, exactly. And <laughs> so, um, uh, and I, and God bless my therapist, man. She's, she's, she's great because yeah. she understands that she's like, well, I know you're going to do certain things just because it's in your profile, right? And, and so she's not going to start off like that. And so her thing is a lot of times is like, how can we best work within the confines of what you have and what you're willing to do and not do, um, which has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. But to kind of get back to the broader point you were saying, like I, I had a really hard time with, I still have a hard time with, I still have a hard time with depression, even as somebody who suffered with it. And I even, I even hate saying that because sometimes I look back and I think this is just a, poor miscalculation of my own emotions and um, where I was in my life, right? I was very short-sighted. I think a lot of times you get short-sighted, man. It's, it's real easy to be like, and I'm going to screw this up. I tried to have my notes, but I, I messed <laughs> it up. And I, I stole this from um, Kelly Sturette. Kelly Sturette yeah. has a thing he call, talks about the three truths of pain. And it's like, it's never going to end. It's only going to get worse. And of course, I forget the third one. And I think yeah. that's what depression sounds like in your ear. Right. Like, so for me, depression, I always couch it like it's a person. It was like a person who followed me around uh -huh. and they were always like, Psst, Hey, it's going to get worse. I'm going to ruin your fucking day. 
right? And then we'd go yeah. somewhere else and he'd be like, hey, I'm never going to not be here. And so knowing that, I think the goal is to challenge it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think of things that we look at as depression and I wonder, is it just a miscalculation? And what I mean by that is kind of my view on it now, at least for myself, I'll never tell anybody else they're not depressed, but for myself, it's like, the days or, or, or things that I will find to induce depression, loss of a loved one, a child, true heartbreak, you know, these things, all those kind of things. You lose a friend, right? Your, your close friends. Um, I think everything else can kind of be a miscalculation. And I say that without getting into the nuance of what your yeah. life could be. Because you could... I'm- Maybe everything's stacked against you. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the reason why it's like I hate like talking about mental health or depression because people will immediately be like, you know, you don't know my circumstance, perspective, whatever. And then also it's like I've dealt with depression and, and difficult things in my life, but I've never dealt with severe depression. But I'm also not of the belief that because I haven't dealt with X, I can't have any opinion or objective view on oh, yeah, why, you know, I feel like that's just a cop out ad hominem, just like stupid debate well, approach. But, um, what are you gonna say? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you this, I'll tell you what changed my mind. Right. Um, other than my own personal circumstance, and this is not a, cause I, I struggle with this right now. It's actually something I've been dealing with, 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 with a friend of mine is like trying to work through how I truly feel about this, the situation. Um, but, I'll tell you what got me to believe, oh shit, yeah, depression and stuff is real. Yeah. He had a guy kill himself and he stabbed himself, I think it was like 56 times with a sword and he was sober. And so the only thing I could process with that is the amount of cosmic pain that person had to be in to go through that had to be- And to continue stabbing, yeah. Yeah, to be so large. Cause I know me, man, I would hit myself one time and be like, I'm out. Yeah. No more. Take me to the doctor. Like, you know, this is not this, you know. So to me, so that was a signal that, you know, things can be really, 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 really jacked up. And then the other thing is like, if we think about kind of, I don't normally say it in in public, but I'll say it in public this time. Like the way I kind of look at people is like, if you look at people like a factory, Right, you're just stamping forwards off the assembly line. Yeah, not all of us come out at spec. Yeah, you're gonna expect some some deviations. Whether that means like I can only handle X, or I can handle Y. Yeah, you know, like for me, I tell people very honestly, like one of my only redeeming qualities is the ability to suffer. Yeah, I have friends who can't. Yeah, there's there's variance. Like, I mean, that's that's it. Like. What breaks one person is just a dust on the shoulder to someone else. And so it's like, you can't really account for that. And there are, again, along with the variances, there's, yeah, there's people that are dealing with more severe mental illness that is, you know, like you either let them destroy themselves or their, you know, medication might have to be like the, the kind of pause button for that. But how I kind of view depression is like, there is this fine line of depression where, you should feel depressed. Like if you're going through a divorce, you lose somebody, you're grieving, that's a very natural emotion, right? Yeah. And it's like you're supposed to feel it. 
It's normal. If someone's bullying you, you're going to feel sad. We shouldn't run from every negative emotion like we do with everything else in life, like run from anything we don't want to see, cancel anybody we don't want to hear their opinion, turn off the TV from you know whatever news outlet you don't like their ideas. You know, it's the same kind of concept. So like acknowledging the fine line, the difference between normal depression you should be feeling or any emotion really for that matter. And then when it actually, you know, you need addressing or you need help. Like if, if you are getting to that suicidal point, you're at that suicidal point, like it is important to reach out to people to, to seek help. I'm not saying like sulk in it, tough it out, stay hard, goggins, mm. whatever. But um, it's just important to acknowledge that. And then the other thing that we kind of talked about with solutions is internalizing and really thinking to yourself, why do I feel depressed? And once you can identify those factors that are causing that, that are, you know, the catalyst for this situation, this mental state you're in, then you can actually start to problem solve, right? Like if you go into therapy and you don't know what the hell's wrong with you, it's really hard to hard to come up with a plan to fix you. But if you have, you know, oh, it's my ankle. Oh, it's, you know, the outside, it's this specific tendon. You can start to work on muscles to fix it and so forth. I think it's the same deal with the mind. If you know that these certain people, these certain things in your life are causing you just distress, uh, you know, address those directly. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things like I'm, I'm constantly harping on with people that I deal with and, and coach or even in my own personal life or whatever is like, I, I'm a big fan of journaling. I'm a big fan of journaling and a big fan of writing. Yeah. Because um, like one of the things I, I want to do with my children is I want to give them the gift of being able to know themselves. Yes. Before, instead of having to wait to be 40, right? Or thirty-five, or well, whenever people find can I, it. Can I pause you in that? Are you gonna? Am I yeah. gonna mess up your flow? No, you good. That's one thing that I feel like I am so glad that I was. I had a, so I had a brother. You talking about wanting a brother? I had. I have a four-year-old brother, uh, but after he got into middle school, like we, we, we never have any. We have no issue uh, at all. But he's he's a musician. He does his own thing. We have our own interests. So we're very different and very apart. Um, the the only time we really talk is at Christmas or whatever. Uh, and it's just one of those things where, um, I grew up very, you know, in solitary, isolated. I had friends and such at school, but I never had like consistent best friends and so forth. But I look back and I'm almost very grateful for that because I had so, I've had so much internal dialogue with myself mm, yeah, yeah. for decades that yeah. I know myself and I actually had connecting back to therapy. I had this conversation with my wife, um, weeks ago and it, it kind of, got heated more on her side just because i feel like she doesn't like to debate i almost like debate to almost yeah, yeah. learn more about whatever's going on but it was the idea of like i said i don't think i would benefit from therapy i was like i don't think it would hurt me but i don't have issues right now and 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 how i view it is i know myself so well that i don't think someone else is going to know me better now Again, there's going to be, you know, a, a trained professional is going to be able to say, oh, X, Y, Z, this is why you do this because of this in your childhood. They might spot things that I don't. But at the same time, I've analyzed and sat in, you know, solitude and thought through traumatic things in my life, relationships in my life, and gotten to know myself, as you mentioned. And the ability and the, the self-esteem and the power of knowing yourself, knowing what you want in life, knowing why you do things, why you think this way, and having that comfort to be alone with yourself and not lose your mind or not need to run to a distraction or a reel or a TikTok to kind of just, I, you know, to, to not be scared of your own thoughts 
is the best gift I could ever give to myself. Yeah, I, I, there's nothing, no notes, right? Like, yeah, that's how I feel. That's what the uh, four and a half years of downrange after everything uh, gave me is because I was alone, and so I spent a lot of time in my own head, and I've always been like that. But this was just very deliberate, and it was very like, let's figure this out. Um, yeah. And so I, I 100% agree with you. Um, the only thing I would say, and I don't think it has to be a therapist, is I think this is where I think mentors, friends, communities, open communities are valuable. And it's because as much as I know myself, I think, and as uh, the phrase I always use is like, ask better questions, get better answers. Yeah. And I think that's what, like for me here, here's what I'll, I'll say. So for therapy now, for me is once a month at best. Mm-hmm. Because I have systems, processes, questions, and everything I ask myself to I know like where it is and what's going on. And the same questions I pose to my clients, right, as mentors in a mentorship setting. Like I, I, I do five questions. Well, as soon as we check in, I'm like, hey, what's up with the five? Mm-hmm. And I do it to myself because I'm like, okay, if, if I'm bitching and complaining or I'm feeling some kind of way, there's probably a reason. Mm-hmm. And you even touched on it earlier, right? If you're feeling depressed, or you're not having a good time at life, there's some some lines, some throughputs that are just hallmarks in everyone's life. You got shitty relationships? Oh, Easy. guess what? You're probably not gonna have a dope life. Like, yeah. really, you know, and then you can backtrack that for so many things. It's like, well, no wonder things aren't good for you because this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I look at that as well. And as far as the other parts of it, like when we're talk, kind of talking about depression and how you feel and how I feel about it, um, I think it's also where it's, it's, it's very valuable to encounter things. And like you said, and not run from them. Like one of the things I look for in people that I hang out with is, are you able to have a discussion about something that you don't agree with mm-hmm. and just not shut it out? We, we're going to pretend it doesn't exist. Right. And so the way I, it's like, uh, no one throws away a steak, a T bone, because it's got a bone in it. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. You don't, you don't, right. You keep that meat. But when it comes to these situations or these people, there are some people that have valuable things to say, but it comes with some gristle. Yeah. People just want yeah. sirloin. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They just want the good stuff. And it's like sometimes you, I've, I've gotten more value out of that than I have a lot of things because I'm willing to sit and listen to the man. I had a conversation with a guy who's blatantly racist, mm-hmm. blatantly. We had a full blown two hour back and forth because mm-hmm. I wanted to understand what he was talking about, why he felt the way he felt, what he was doing. And a lot of people in my life were like, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. But for me, it was like, I wanted an understanding. I wanted to see what he was talking about. Was he yeah. ignorant? Was he smart? Was I ignorant? Like, What's well, a lot of times, a lot of times, and I was going to, I want to ask you, but I'll, I'll prompt this first is, uh, you know, what, what did you walk away from that with? Because a lot of times, you know, it's not, a lot of times it's not even that the other person is filled with hatred or arrogance or this or that. They just have bad information or they just have like a bad, incorrect perspective on life. I think it's one of the, uh, one of the Ponce's and, and Pascal's work. Uh, he has this section where he talks about, you know, disagreeing with somebody. And the problem is they're right in their perspective from the view, the standpoint that they're looking at, they're right. You know, like if they're, Mm -hmm. if you're looking at this water bottle I'm holding, all right, from your perspective, you might see this X logo and you'd say, well, the bottle has an X on it. I'd say, okay, well, 
that's wrong to me. I don't see that. You know what I mean? So it's sometimes it's a matter of perspective. And so once you can actually inform them with better information or help change their perspective, that's where you can, you know, find agreeance. And you realize they're not coming from a place of hatred. They're just coming from a place of, you know, misinformation and, and poor outlook on life. But what did you walk away from that conversation thinking? Um, I think the larger point is the same one I keep walking away with, which is our worlds are so small and we refuse to open them up. Yeah. Right? Like one of the things I've been very uh, observant about lately are statements of when someone says something to the effect of like, all I can see is this. In my life, this is what I see. And it's like, well, how, how broad or, or, or wide is your life? Yeah. Right? The older I get, the more I'm starting to realize how niche everything is. Mm-hmm. Right? Like for my friends who take ice baths, Mm-hmm. that's normal I've got another set of friends who look at that like what are you doing and they don't mm-hmm. understand it there's no science behind it there's no that's just crazy yeah right and then I have another group of friends who eating terribly doesn't register it's not eating terribly it's just what I do yeah whereas like you know what I mean and so I feel well, like because the, people's norms yeah yeah it's norms and then there's I read some wild stat like most people never move like 20 30 whatever it is, miles away from where they grew up. Yeah, yeah. And so being able to see the world and talk to people and and even if you can't, just read. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. is such a eye-opener if you let it be. You know, um, I've seen it firsthand, but they do a great job of talking about it in A Lion, Track, a Lion Tracker's Guide to Life mm-hmm. uh, by Boyd Vardy. He talks about some of the PHs, the professional hunters in there, and their view on life and like um, having a purpose and a why. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I've seen this too with foreign soldiers. I talked to foreign soldiers before. They're like, what do you mean a, a purpose? To, like, we're here. Like, we're just doing, we're doing what we do. And when I think about that, and then I think about some of the conversations I have, and I'm like, wow, this is a wild thing, right? Like, I'm in a position where I get the ability to, to choose a why or a purpose or whatever it is. And some people are just out here just trying to survive. And even if they're not trying to survive, life is just a very different perspective for them. And so like getting to the point, like when, what did I walk away with? I walked away with the fact that one, this guy had been hurt at a young age. Mm-hmm. He had been hurt at a young age. Two, like you said, his information was wild. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah. and three, he couldn't see outside of his, his container, mm-hmm. be it his city, his town, Stuck in his, his fish friends. tanks, yeah. Yeah. And I, I see that a lot, man. Like, if you talk to people right now, actually, Dr. Mike Isratel was just on mm-hmm. Modern Wisdom Podcast, and he did a far better job than I'll ever do describing it. But I talk <laughs> about it a lot. He yeah. talked about by every conceivable metric, we are doing better as a species. However, mm-hmm. including in the U.S., when we talk to people, they're like, Sky's falling. It's getting worse. Yeah. We're out of yeah. here in 50 years, you know, and, and you can't convince people of otherwise. Well, 4th of July, talk- you know, just came up and that's the perfect, like, you know, point of reference is, you know, yes, you know, there's, there's problems, colonialism and racism and slavery, but it's like, things are far better. This, the quality of life, not just in the U.S., but like you said, around the world is better. We can't, we can't throw out, you know, the baby with the bathwater and just woe is me, sky is falling. 
Um, we can't have blind ignorance, but, but yeah, I, I know where you're, what you're getting at. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, right? Like I grew up in a, in a, in a, in the military in a system where we did AARs and hot washes and, yeah. and those are things where I'm going to tell you where you, where you went wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that there's great value in talking about how we screwed something up. Cause I yeah, know what we did well, especially, justice, yeah. you know, which is a, a different conversation, but especially for those of us who, who get the celebratory character. You know, most of us just have the judge, but once you can install like the celebratory character in your head, I know what I do well. And so talking about what's wrong, I think is extremely valuable, but there's also a way to kind of realistically look at things and go, oh, you know, in a certain time frame, we could have woken up and there would have been a horde outside the walls mm-hmm. ready to kill every military yeah. age male here. Yeah, just zooming out sometimes. I mean, yeah. I talked about it on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I met up with a friend of mine who ran Cocoa Donut 250. You know what that is, right? I know what it is, but I've never... Roughly. Yeah, yeah. it's a 250-mile race is all yeah, you, all you really need part. to know. Yeah, and so w- when they were racing, I would just think in the morning, like, oh, I'm waking up, you know, nice coffee, AC house, good night of sleep, warm oatmeal, and so forth, and they're on their, like, third, fourth night of running out there sleeping on rocks, and, um, you know, that's voluntary suffering, as we talked about. And there's tons of value in that. But, uh, yeah, just thinking about how brutal life was. I mean, I was talking about with my wife the other day. You know, people love the series uh, Game of Thrones and those yeah. fantasy worlds, right? And it's like, well, you know, six, seven hundred years ago, I mean, you could be living your best life. Let's say you got the most utopian village, right? Well, Genghis Khan is going to come in there, burn everybody, you know, rape all the women, your children are slaves, and you did nothing wrong, and there's no justice, there's no whatever. So, you know, yeah, it's just just thinking about how relative some things are. But switching back to the uh, the mental health thing and trauma and, and depression and so forth, one thing that um, I, I don't, I'm not sure if you wrote about this before, but it's just something I've thought about before, and uh I don't know. I, I have my stance on it is the idea of not running from trauma or, or traumatic events in your life, certain moments. Uh, and, and the idea I heard someone say, it's like, you know, I don't want someone or a therapist to like take those demons from me. Like those are my demons and the idea mm. of embracing them, acknowledging them and using them to kind of fuel certain things. I mean, just, I don't know if you're a big UFC guy, but like this past mm. weekend, uh, Alexandre Pantoja just won in, in his interview. He was like, you proud of me now, dad? Like his mother raised him yeah. and his siblings whole life. It's like, you proud of me now? And it's like, he's holding that, you know, and I'm sure that's fueling his whole mm-hmm. career. And so there's almost an element of like, you know, you want to not let these things destroy you. But if you're able to, again, sit in solitude, think about these things and use them to fuel your success, uh, you don't want to almost be stripped of that that extra and like nitrous, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm a big fan of man. Energy doesn't get destroyed. Yeah. Right. And moving towards things, I, I think is a, is a, again, it's a, it's a thing I look for in people that I call friends. I don't want people who are, the sky is falling and let's just complain about it. It's like sky's falling. Let's do something about it. Um, and so I, I get that. And I think confronting those things and talking about them and going through them is valuable. And here's where I'll say my biggest recent issue with therapy is sometimes, and not just therapy, but just people in this, the mental health talks and everything else is, um, when you clean your house, you kick up dust, right? And so there's certain rooms you go into, they're dustier than others. And I only got about 
according to the life expectancy chart, about 40 years left at best. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's always worth kicking up that dust if it's not causing problems, mm -hmm. right? I'm, I'm pretty interested in present and future and the past I use as a, yeah. either a catalyst or a, a remembrance, right? I don't, I don't wanna look back and be like, oh, woe is me, I've yeah. done that. I like to look back and be like, okay, this is what I did, this is how I can use it and so on and so forth. Um, and so that's kind of my issues because I've seen people get into therapy for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. And now they're walking away with 20 other yeah. things that they have to handle that's, because you're kicking, kicking up dust. That might be my way to redeem my therapy take in a better way that if, if anyone who didn't like my take, they'll uh, maybe give me some, uh, give me some forgiveness here is, is that idea of the, the things that do, I still have in the back of my mind and I, you know, pull them out. I pull out that, you know, ace of spades, that wild card when I need it on some brutal effort. If I'm out there on the trail and I feel like quitting, like who is that person to that moment in my life that I'm like, fuck that. Like I'm having the last laugh, chip on my shoulder type deal. And yeah, if there's, I think that's a good point. Like if there's certain things that would typically hit you with a diagnosis for, or, you know, that are that dust in your, in your background, and in your life, but they aren't causing problems. If you're able to coexist with them, perhaps is a good way to put it, then yeah, acknowledging whether it's worth it. Yeah, because I like how you say, like people can go in for one thing and come out with the uh, yeah. shits and issues. And I think that's one of those things too, where talking about it, it's being exact is hard because I'm not necessarily talking about therapy. I might yeah. be just actually pointing at certain types of therapists. Yes, right? it's yeah. We can't. Uh, what do you call it? Generalize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the other thing I'll say too is, when you're when we're talking about this and we're going going through all of this, it's like um, how you say it. I personally am interested in not having to have those moments anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to be so powerful that it's all me, self propelled. Mm -hmm. Right. And what I mean by that is like, I've used that fuel and I got it. Don't get me wrong. But what I want now is I want the fuel to be just strictly internal. This is me self-propellant because, you know, um, I feel confident in what I'm doing. Yeah. Or I feel whatever. And the, the, the real fuel I'm using now is, you know, a different thing. And for a long time, man, I held on to a lot of that stuff because I didn't want to lose an edge. I didn't want to, I was like, I got this little thing. And then the more I think about it, especially if it's people or moments, I go, I want to be so large that that's insignificant. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is like, I'm really big on being present, man, right? So you were kind of talking about it earlier. And there's a line or there's a whole page on, in The Alchemist, which is a book I love. I read it every year. And in The Alchemist, he talks about how if you're present, you can always be happy or you can always be whatever it is, right? When you're present, it's not suffering, it's just pain, right? Whereas suffering is, oh shit, in the future. Oh shit, this is gonna happen, you know? Happiness is in the, yeah, happiness is in the present. And it's like you talked about earlier, for me, and I, I, didn't, I, I forgot to say it, like for me, the way I look at happiness is we're on a map and that's a place I visit. I don't get to live there. Yeah. I just get to whoop, stop off at happiness, back on the road to content. Maybe there's some potholes with fucking sadness or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe even 
a week stay, unfortunately, but but that's <laughs> you know that that's kind of how I view it, man. And, and I think that, and so it's all like I said, it's kind of counter contradictory, but I think it's also life. Yeah. You don't get to just get it, be like black or white. This mm-hmm. exists, this doesn't. You know. Yeah. So. Well, another thing I want to ask you, and uh, yeah, I, another topic where my opinions don't waver per se, but they, they're, they're kind of ever changing is uh, masculinity. So like, I'm gonna throw it to you broad. What would you, you know, how would you define masculinity? And how do you think it's kind of evolved over the years? Because I think it's gone through a phase of, you know, those kind of traditional male values, let's say, you know, tough it out, right is one or, or, you know, uh, don't cry or things like that. But then we've kind of moved towards a phase where I think it's been kind of demonized and, and scrutinized. And then, you know, uh, it, it's grown and adapted in the modern day, I think, for, for the better, for the most part. But now it's almost become a void term or like an anti-concept where it doesn't actually stand for anything. And it's almost just thrown out loosely, almost like, you know, racist has been used so many times or so many people have been called it. It's like, all right, well, who's like actually a racist at this point? So, yeah. you know, what what are your thoughts on masculinity and how how it's used today? Oh, man. Um, good buddy of mine named Sandeep Abraham is gave me this line and he I don't even think he knew what he was doing when he said it to me. He said. I'm a man, therefore the things I do are manly. Um, there's not a lot of hills I'll die on when it comes to masculinity because of this right here. I think masculinity has been confused with being a warrior. I think it's been confused with, we'll just say being hard. And I think it's so much deeper than that. The hills I do die on with masculinity are, I'll do it anyways. I'm sad, but I'll do it anyways. I'm tired, but I'll do it anyways. Because that's the thing that I, I, I kind of, at least for myself, look at, right? Yeah. If, um, I have four kids and if heaven forbid, I lose my gig tomorrow, guess I'm a bricklayer. I want to do it, but I guess I'll do it. That, yeah. I guess, I know, right? Um, I think just as much as we need warriors and super hard dudes we need poets mm-hmm. we need gardeners and we need men who are willing to step up and i think my biggest beef with masculinity or the lack of or whatever you want to call it today is that it's not really a lack of it's the same thing i say about good relationships you don't see good relationships because they're too busy doing good relationship shit. yeah Right when I show up to Summer Strong, I'm surrounded by masculinity in its best form. Yeah. However, none of them are gonna go online today and be like, you know what I did? Masculine shit. We're just living our life, doing whatever. And every now and then we'll we'll get online and say something because somebody gets a bit out of order mm-hmm. or whatever. But, and I also don't think it takes a hundred of us to say it. Yeah, like- it takes a bunch of a. It's examples for me. That's kind of my deal. Is like uh, on my old board um, at work. You know when you see say, it. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the it's the Supreme Court definition, right? Like, I don't know what porn is, yeah. but I know I know <laughs> when I see it. Know when I see it. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it's to make example, to be an example, and then make examples of others. 
I, how I thought about it, because um, I, I did a piece on it a while ago, but you know, I was thinking like, why are, why are young men kind of leaning towards stoicism so much more lately? Why are they running towards these kind of uh, charlatans or these kind of cult figures like an Andrew Tate or even a Jordan Peterson? Like, why are these such attractive figures for these like young men? And yeah, like, you know, it made me, I, I journaled about it, like, what is masculinity? And I think, like you said, it's not, it's not a warrior. It's not a soldier. It's not uh, being emotionless. It's not, it's certainly not, you know, abusing women or, 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 or you know, being a frat boy or some of these asinine uh, behaviors that get assigned to masculinity or men as a whole. And we get that mischaracterization. But to me, it is, like you said, uh, providing continuing to do the job that needs to get done regardless of how you feel. Yeah. Um, I think of my father, I think of, I'm sure you probably think of your dad and, and so forth of, you know, hundreds of men, like you said, that you don't, you don't see them because they're out doing, doing the job. You know, they're, they're the guys that go do the blue collar work, work for 40, 60 hour weeks just to put food on the table for their family. They never complain about it. You don't hear a peep from them. You don't hear, Oh, I don't feel like going in today or, Oh, this job was tough. Nope. They don't say a word about it. They go and do their job. They don't worry about a vacation. They don't, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll miss the soccer game or whatever for their child just to make sure he's got new soccer cleats, you know? And that's what I think of, of men as, as being providers of being courageous as being leaders, I think of strength. And, you know, the other thing that I think people mess up on is that masculinity, the traits that are assigned to it don't have to be mutually exclusive. They, you know, you can be a strong man, but strength can also be a characteristic of femininity, you know, just like men can have emotion or men can be beautiful. But, but I think there are, you know, traits that are more emphasized biologically towards a specific, you know, sex, gender, whichever you want to use. Um, But nowadays, I think because it's been so scrutinized, uh, we have this like empty sense of what masculinity is. And what happened is now we have like a younger generation coming up and they're like, what is it to be a man? Is it, you know, to be a womanizer or is it to wear dresses like Harry Styles? Is that what what a man, is that what Vanity Fair tells me a man is now and masculinity is this? You know, is it to paint my nails or is it to go lift in the gym? And I think they, they have this like uh, this hunger for a role model and there is none. I think a lot of, you know, maybe you can relate. You're older than me is like in the 70s, 80s and so forth. You had Arnold, you had Sylvester Stallone, you had, you know, these these, you know, shoot, even some of these like WWE guys, you had these like role models that were like, hey, this is masculinity. You know, this is a, a leader. You know, you had these kind of badass action movies. And nowadays, it's like, you know, people are looking up to these uh, artists or rappers or athletes that are kind of living these hedonistic or like frivolous lives. And that's not what, you know, masculinity is, you know, they should mm-hmm. be looking at, you know, like, like we mentioned, like their community, you know, hard laborers and so forth, they're just people doing the job. Um, so that's, th- those are like my thoughts, um, I guess, on masculinity as a whole. I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot of disagreement there. The only thing I'd yeah. say is, um, one, I kind of let younger guys off the hook um, for two reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my, my heroes growing up that weren't my dad were Bruce Lee and stuff like that. Yeah. 
And so I get a little irritated when guys are like, you, your heroes should be because I'm like, your heroes weren't that. Your heroes weren't Medal of Honor winners and fucking, they were, they were like you said, Arnold, Sylvester Stallone, and dudes with big muscles in movies. character or something. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not, but then when you grew up, you were like, oh, these are actual heroes. Real people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now, I think the problem is due to a lack of interconnectedness in life, I don't get to see that guy that I don't necessarily see as a hero, but he's there, right? The guy that I would have talked to 20 years ago who would have dropped some wisdom on me, I don't, that doesn't, that interaction doesn't happen because we just run in the house or you're not supposed to talk to this guy because he's a weirdo who's at the basketball court or whatever the thing might be, whatever, however it kind of stacks up for you, right? And that's why I think like barbershops, you know, that's, that's like a, like the last bastion of like, dudes talking shit where you can be a young guy and hear something yeah. Um, or whatever that, you know, jujitsu gyms. Like for me, jujitsu was like that for a long time. It's like, I would go to class and what would I hear? I would hear old timers saying stuff that I needed to hear. Um, And so I think if you're not involved in those kind of communities, openness, then you, you miss that. And so, and then as far as like the masculinity peddlers or whatever you want to call them, yeah. Um, for me, it's very meat and gristle, like we talked about. Like There are things that some of these guys say that are just, like, I needed to hear that because I didn't know yes. how to say it. Sometimes, to, sometimes yeah. the, the truth is ugly. I was talking to a friend of mine about that, you know, before. Is like some of the times, like, what this guy says that, you know, they'll take out clips and dude looks atrocious, dude looks like misogynist, whatever. But then you listen to other clips, like you mentioned, being open-minded, letting yeah. someone speak and hear them in a full context. And you go, man, like there are some nuggets, there are some good pieces of meat to use that metaphor yeah. that are actually true, you know? And, and the other thing too is like, there are so many truths that are just uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? And there are things that are just terribly uncomfortable to hear and people will shy away from it, right? Um, and... and you know, I don't know how to couch that, but like that's what it is. You know, uh, Chris Williamson just had one on his podcast where essentially what he, what they said was uh, every time a country becomes educated, the females in the country become educated. They basically the birth rate stops. Yeah, yeah. And that's an uncomfortable truth, but by every measurable statistic we can find in the world, that's true. And doesn't yeah. mean we should go around and be like, stop learning. Yeah. Right? I have two daughters. The last thing I'm going to do is tell them not mm-hmm. to be educated and formidable women in their lives. Mm-hmm. But there's a reality that that's, that's just the truth. Yeah, we can, so, we can acknowledge the truth and also say, okay, well, the solution is obviously not reverting, but what, <laughs> exactly. what, do we, what do we do, right? Like you mentioned, you know, women, I think this ties into the, the men and the mental health thing, right, is, you know, for so long – men were the breadwinner and they had a clear purpose to provide for the family and they had like a pretty specific path and so forth. And now, you know, as women are going to college, which is obviously incredible and getting educated and getting higher paid jobs and so forth, they're marrying later. Some of them aren't having children. Um, you know, and, and so men are kind of going further and further without a relationship, without responsibilities that ground them. A relationship grounds you. Having a child, even if it's, you know, very early and at a young age like yourself, it grounds you. It forces you to, to have some sense of accountability. And um, I think a lot of men are lacking that accountability, lacking a lot of that purpose. And so they are kind of just floating out here in society trying to, again, figure out, you know, 
what the hell is, what is my purpose here? Like what is going to bring me long, long lasting happiness? What do I want out of life? Um, so, yeah, I think it's one, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's the deal is like, I think if you're a young man, you're kind of sold a, a bag of lies right now. Right. And you're, a lot of it is immediate, immediate gratification. When most of the things that make, in my estimation, that make men happy or happy is the wrong word that make men purposeful are delayed. Right. You, the things that make you attractive, whether it's to women or just in general, having experiences. You don't get that at 18. Sorry. You got to go cultivate that and do that and have the thing. Like wisdom isn't just given to you, right? Now you can you can be wise, right? It's one of the things I talk about with my oldest boy all the time. It's like there's a difference between being smart and wise. Smart is just I just learn things and I typically learn it at my own expense. Wise is being like let me read this or listen to this old timer who's going to tell me this thing that I can avoid right now. Right? And so um, you can be wise. You just might not be, or you can use wisdom, I guess would probably be the way to say it. You're not a wise person, but you can use wisdom to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of trying to get guys to understand that, like you have to build yourself into a thing. Mm-hmm. You don't get to just be like, surprise, I'm whoops, got muscles. Yeah. Whoops, got, you know, whoops, got money. Yeah. And it's like, it feels like a lot of guys are trying to skip that and then skipping it, they get frustrated and then they just bow out. Yeah. It's almost like, I, I don't know. Maybe this will sound like a good metaphor. Maybe it'll sound silly, but I was like, think it's like, it takes bricks to build a house. And so like, it, unless you have these experiences and these aren't experiences that just happen to you. Like we mentioned by accident, you have to will them to happen. Like if yeah. I didn't sign up for these ultra races, I wouldn't have these stories to tell. If you didn't go to the military and say, fuck it, we're going to see what happens, you wouldn't have these stories, good or bad, to tell. Like Life and meaning and all that is derived from the experiences we live and, you know, the journeys we go through. And yeah, I mean, like scrolling on TikTok, eating some Oreo, whatever's going to give you instant gratification, that gives you, again, that, that immediate happiness, but it doesn't give you an experience. It doesn't give you a story. It doesn't build you and build your character. Yeah. It, dude, like, one of the things that, like, um, in, in coaching guys and talking to them has been just yeah. that. Like, I'm sure like, you get that a lot, yeah. If you, if all you're doing is waking up, going to the gym, going to work, coming home, playing video games, doing, we'll call it one other additional activity, like, what do you expect? Yeah. Right? But if you're a single guy, you don't have kids... And let's say you have a decent job. You can live under your means, buy a passport, and go get lost for two weeks in Morocco. That's well within reality. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like some old 41-year-old dude talking shit and until you investigate it and you're like, oh, wait. There's things like Jack's Flight Club out here where they sell tickets at random discounted prices. There's all these other things, you know, and it's all possible. And if and for me, it's all under the guise of adventure, right? Like I learned, I learned a long time ago that I, I like adventure. And so had I known that at 19, 18, whatever, I probably would have made even more decisions to orient my life towards that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys aren't kind of formulated that way. And by the time they figure it out, you know, or they don't figure it out, they just say, I'm out. 
you know, and then they're frustrated and they're angry. I, I got a guy I'm dealing with right now who's like that. And he's, he's upset because he's not getting what he thinks he deserves. But it's like, you haven't done any of the things to get what you want. And yeah. so it's a weird position. I don't know how you get there, but a lot of people do. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, you know, you, you touched on it throughout the podcast. You know, you got four children. I'd love to get your thoughts on fatherhood, uh, especially as how it's changed over the years. So you mentioned you were, uh, in your own words, not a great husband uh, mm-hmm. at a young age and so forth. First child at 16. Uh, you know, how how has that how has your perspective on what it means to be a father changed over the years? And how have you worked to improve and, and maintain great relationships with your children? Because I imagine through the divorce, that's often, you know, really hard time. Um, so one, I have an, I have an excellent father that I, if I can be 75, 50% of what he was, then I'm winning. Like, I, and I mean that like, not in some salesman way. Like my dad is just, he was the neighborhood dad, right? Like my, all my friends that don't have dads, like that's their dad. Um, you know, I'm, a lot of times I'll be places and they'll, people will come up to me and talk to me and they're talking to me about my dad, like, yeah. you know? And so, um, that's number one. Um, even at a young age as a dad, I, I was a good dad. I'll say I was too cool though. That's the way I always say it. I was too cool. I was too cool to put the tiara on. Right. I was too oh, cool to, okay. yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, whereas like older me, you know, I do all that. We're doing tiaras, tea parties, whatever yeah, it is you want yeah. to do. Like we're, we're, we're doing it. Um, because I had a job where I was gone a lot. Yeah. A lot of the praise goes to my kids, moms, man. Like, like they're amazing. You know, my ex-wife is amazing. She's she's the ability to speak about me in a positive manner, including when I wasn't a positive person, mm-hmm. does more than I can say, right? Yeah. Even though I was, I was even during that time, I was still a good dad. Um, but it, but her reinforcing that while I'm away is probably more than you know. I don't even know how to yeah, how to priceless. say that other than just yeah. like pri- yeah, priceless is the exact word. Um, and I think the other thing is just like, and, I, and I'm not great at this all the time, but like is be present. You know, it's again, it's be here now. Um, a lot of times, one of the better lessons, two lessons I really learned from my kids that I like, man. Um, my daughter, when she got her first little, it wasn't a real cell phone, basically we got her a cell phone where she had Wi-Fi access. Mm-hmm. So she could just text me through Wi-Fi when I was downrange. This little girl texted me 17 times in one night. Just nothing. Just, yeah. I love you, you're a good dad. Stuff like that. And for me, that lesson there is like, stop being afraid of being loving, right? That's all it was. Because as an adult, how many times have we stopped ourselves from sending the text message to a person who already knows that we love them or who already knows we care, but I don't want to send this because I don't want to bother you or I don't want whatever. And so for me, that was a big, like, yeah. yeah. And so for me, that was like, damn, she doesn't know enough to be afraid of that. And so she's just firing them off. I love you. I love you. You know, whatever. And I was like, okay, got it. That's, that's a thing I want to try and Embody. do. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one was, uh, I mean, there's multiple, but there is sure. another good one. When I first got home, um, my daughter would be upstairs in her room and then she would scramble downstairs and she'd like look around the corner 
and be like, all right, he's here, and then bounce. Just wanted to know I was here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think that gets overlooked a lot. Like, like be there. Just maybe it's for a reason, maybe it's not. Yeah. You know? And then um, one I learned recently that I think I've done a decent job at, but I, it's not my piece of advice, but I'm going to keep doling it out because it's good, is um, don't try and make a happier kid happy. You know, if a kid's already happy, don't try and make them any happier. Like, they're good. They got it. Yeah. You know? Um, but as far as fatherhood goes, man, like, I think it's one of the biggest things that you can have happen to you. I, yeah. I will wholeheartedly go on a limb and say, it's not even a limb, it's just the truth that fatherhood saved my life. Being accountable to my daughter at 17 years old, right? Which is unimaginable if you really think about it. I was a father before I was a man. Yeah. Right? That all the things that I did after that were for that reason. Joining the military, sending money home, doing, you know, making sure, like one of my biggest, like other than I didn't want to work for dummies, but one of the reasons why I wanted to get promoted so fast was because I wanted to be able to do more for her. And then later on, all of them. Um, and so... You know, I, I don't know. It's huge, man. Um, I I also know that a lot of the best men in my life, not that some of the great men in my life aren't, aren't fathers, because I got a couple of those guys, too, who are, who are not dads, and they're going to, if they're never dads, they're still going to be elite humans. Yeah. But, um, you know, on my, on my Mount Rushmore of fathers, other than my own dad, like, I look to my buddy Day and Elliot. Um, those are two guys, man, that I, I watch, and I'm like, oh, you got to do more. You got to be better because I don't think that there's a more important product or thing or whatever you want to call it than your children. Like putting, making good human citizens, whatever you want to call it is, uh, you know, and they didn't ask for it. That's the yeah. other thing. They yeah. showed up like, why am I here? And so now it's on me and family to make sure that they, they enter into the world properly and um i want my kids to be able to uh handle it without dad but be like i wish dad was here that's kind of my goal right yeah i want to have deep relationships with them and i think we have good relationships and you know even working through the divorce like my two youngest they were the probably the most affected during the divorce um but like i said like Man, like I can't wish for a better family than I have. Yeah. That's that's the reality. Yeah, I uh, so my wife and I plan on probably having kids in like four or five years. We're still quite young, twenty three, twenty four. Yeah, and um, my whole just a thing I fall back on because I I think it's important for people regardless of their age, regardless of even if you already have a kid, if you're not already thinking this way, is to take. Uh, parenthood very seriously I think too many times it's just something that happens or something that people kind of do um, but it doesn't they don't think about it to the intensity that it needs to be thought of they don't have the intentionality behind it and and not in the way that you're going to be a perfect parent you're obviously not and not to be overstressing it and, and try not to corrupt your kid but just being very intentional about you know the example you're setting like you mentioned, being present and yeah, like what, 
what kind of father parent you want to be in, what, what relationship you want to have um, down the line. You know, I look to uh, my wife has as divorces on on both mom and dad, dad side. Both of them had um, a few, and yet she has good relationships with kind of all parties, and and mm-hmm. like she still kind of looks to her dad as her hero, and it's like the first person she's excited to call and. Like I just see their relationship, and I I think you know if I have a daughter, it'd be the same with a son. Like that's that's what I want. I want to be yeah. beloved and appreciated in that way. And I I look at it too, and I realize it's not things he buys or it's not his wealth, it's not um, anything. Often it's the inverse. It's because he can't afford much. The time he spends, the the small muffin he'll buy at Panera, you know, and the sitting and talking and being present that uh is again masculinity being man it can be the same thing with motherhood too but just you know being a a parent and and uh i, th- I don't know i just think intentional with your child you know i, I mean i think intentional and and like you said well thought out i think um one of the the ways i, I try to at least be or, or or think of it is um I think of all the things I've seen I don't want for my children. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I don't want them to be afraid, paralyzed with fear. I don't want them to be um aloof. I want them to understand consequences. I want them to be knowing of themselves. I want them to be kind, not nice. I want them to you know what I mean? All these things. And those are the things I, I think about. And then I also remember that these are these are little humans that have a hard time articulating what they're going through, thinking, or experiencing. And they also have no real concept of time. Yes, right? yeah. So like when something happens to my youngest girl, you know, she's 11. It's the biggest thing that's ever happened to her. Yeah. Easy for me to be <laughs> Everything like, Everything is like, the biggest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. It's easy for me to be like, it's not that big. Well, to her, it's <laughs> an explosion. Like an explosion yeah. just went off. And, and, and just trying to kind of like remember things. Like I, I remember, man, um, one of the biggest epiphanies I had was like, somebody was like, uh, you know that feeling you have when you don't want to go to work? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, you don't think your kids have that too? And I was like, fuck. <laughs> the difference is, is you can decide to not go. You can, but it's for most people, or a lot of people with their kids, they don't do that. They won't. And I'm not saying I'm like a dad who's like, yeah, stay home. It's okay. But I'm just saying like the, the idea or uh, ability to wrap your head around the fact that like, oh, wait, these aren't just little people who just do my beck and call, which I think a lot of dudes have problems with at first, especially when you're dealing with younger kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, why aren't they doing what I say? And it's like, well, that's a little human that's molded after you and you're probably stubborn too. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I, I, I find a lot of value in watching guys who are just good fathers or what I think is a good father. And, um, but I think it's like everything, right? What mm-hmm. you surround yourself with matters. Yeah. That environment yeah. is key. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always just, like you said, yeah, look to people that, that are good parents. You can see it. And I think just remembering, you know, it is that accountability as far as, do you want your child to see someone who is, you know, eating healthy and exercising, pushing through hardship, getting things done regardless? That's the best way to honestly teach them some of these principles. Cause sometimes I think, you know, how do I how do I not raise, you know, a shithead or 
not have them be uh you know corrupted in any kind of way and i just think you know by setting the right example and being their hero they'll want to emulate you know yeah those same behaviors i mean i think the biggest thing you said a mouthful is an example like to yeah. be an example and to be open and honest is, is i think is wild like a lot of parents and and not doling out relation or parenting advice but a lot of people hide their kid hide things from their kids hide life from their kids yeah and as somebody who's been around the world and seen kids in some pretty horrific situations kid and i'm not saying you should just like go expose your kids to to horror either but i've seen kids kind of bounce back from the worst things possible or even the worst explanations possible and here we are like sheltering our kids from things and it's like i would rather you know now from me than to learn it from little johnny or somebody else in school or on the playground or on the basketball court, or whatever you know and so i'm i'm of the fan like we don't do that, right? I let my kids watch a lot of TV that people probably wouldn't do. But the rule is real simple. When I start talking to you about it, if you can't talk to me about it, you can't watch it. Right? So, like, my daughter, my daughter, my youngest daughter, well, both of them. Both of them are huge anime fans and huge horror fans. Like I said, my daughter's 11. So she watches horror movies. But as soon as we start talking about it, you start getting all, um, uh, uh, um. We can't. Uh, well, we can't watch this now. Yes, we can't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. You, I want because you got to be able to articulate to me like what you're talking about, what you think, what you feel, you know, the whole nine, and and that's kind of how I handle it. Just because like I've seen, I, I saw this kid in Afghanistan, man, in 2003, 2004, somewhere around there, just sitting in the middle of a fucking desert, had a couple water cans, and I'm guessing they were gas cans, and he was just sitting there, nothing around. And his parents were like, stay here. We'll be back in like two or three days. I don't actually remember. I just know he was supposed to stay there and his parents were coming back. And homie was just there. Okay with it. And I was just like, what a wild concept. In America, if you even go a block away from your kids, some people will call cops on you. Yeah. And I'm not advocating for leaving my kids in the desert. (laughs) Not always, at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, there, there's this thing I, I constantly like. It's like uh, be made of sterner stuff. Mm-hmm. And in order to be made of sterner stuff, sometimes you got to do some things that are not exactly um, always nice well, and Well, since, since you got me on it, maybe last thing to wrap up on parenthood is how do you teeter between wanting to go through tough things, but then not wanting, you know, not obviously deliberately allowing or encouraging uh let's say trauma or or negative experiences does that make sense yeah um so the way i'm you want them obviously to bend not break you know i'm a a huge fan of this man um life's gonna happen i don't have to introduce trauma yeah well of course of course i guess i mean like uh like preventing them from things that are that are likely like let's say they're, they're I don't even know. I, I mean, I guess you get what I'm saying anyway, but but like, for example, if they're being like bullied at school, mm-hmm. as long as it's like mild, I would rather them, you know, address it themselves and try and figure it out rather than oh, yeah. have the principal pull them from the classroom and get parents involved. And you know what I mean? Yeah, that's always my, my, our first intent is always um, 
to have our kids address it slash deal with it. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with it? Whatever. And have that dialogue, I guess. Yeah, because yeah. you're your first line of defense when I'm not there, even as a child, right? Like, I'm not at school with you. So if somebody does something wrong, I want to raise kids who are astute enough to handle it, even in their childish way. Yeah. Right? And then the other part of this, too, is like, can you come talk to me about it? Mm-hmm. Dad, this happened. Right? Which, kudos to my 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 my, my two oldest, man. They, they had it happen, but I was gone a lot. So most of that was mom. Uh, even with my two youngest, it's mom. But it's they're they're very talkative about everything to both of us. So we, we had it happen with my uh, my youngest daughter. She handled it. She came back and told her mom, and then she told me afterwards. And it was like, good job. Here's here's how dad wants you to handle it from here on out. Somebody yeah. touches you, grabs you, tries to fight you, hit them. Yeah. You were like, don't teach kids that. And I'm like, cool. You do that with yours. Right? Yeah. I'm I'm not, you know, because well, if you're I get teaching involved. Them, you're teaching them real life, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. not only that, like, if I get involved, it's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a thing. And, and kids, even if people don't want to agree with it, at least in my, in my, my opinion, is like, they still handle a lot of things on their own. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I would much rather my daughter and my boys handle it on their own one, because I think we do this fairy tale thing with kids and just people in general, where it's like, if I shelter you, shelter you, shelter you, and then I'm going to release you to the wild, you're going to be able to stand up for yourself. Yeah. Like, or the raise... dream, or the dream utopia that we can just sh- make the world this, uh, you know, cushioned, uh, bubble wrapped place, you know? Yeah. Like you can't nerf the, you can't nerf the world. Yeah. Um, but like, it's funny, like one of my good friends, uh, she, she has got a daughter that's just like her and she's like, oh, it's exhausting. And I was like, cause she talks about like wanting to raise astute, strong young girls. Um, and she was, she was like, well, that also comes with them having a little bit of bite back at me and also having to realize like there's a difference between disrespect and like trying to unleash this thing on the world here soon. Right. And I think that that's that's an important like distinction. Like I can't want you to be strong and then you never display strength. And then expect you to display it when you're on your own. Right. And so that's and it's tough. It's a fine line because it's like, oh, well, you know, be respectful of your elders and blah, 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 blah. And it's that and a third. But at the same time, at 18 or whatever it happens, if, if I happen to not be here and die, man, like I want you to be all of those things yeah you know yeah well let's dig into uh you know what you do um yeah just like what you do in general with uh we are warpath and so forth and a lot of your writing so tell me a little bit about uh what that is are they kind of separate entities are they intertwined in a certain way uh yeah talk talk a little bit about that all intertwined now um uh when i started we are warpath uh or warpath um it was meant to be a faceless endeavor where you never saw me, you never knew I was a person who sold clothing or anything else. Um, and then that became very apparent that that wasn't real. Um, through the marketing guys that I was using and some other people, they were like, no, it, apparently when you talk, people respond. Like yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. And then, um, and, I, and I've told, talked about this before, but then like Brandon Lilly 
and I had a conversation, which he probably just thought he was just having a normal conversation with me, but it was super impactful for me. He said, um, you basically just boil it down to like, you can tell it how it is, or you can wait for other people to tell the story for you. And, and uh, so I started sharing more. And when I started sharing more, I started getting messages that I didn't expect from people I didn't expect. People that I didn't share anything in common with or, or didn't think I shared anything in common with. Um, along the lines of helping too. And so then it just kind of became this like symbiotic relationship of, uh, you know, it's not just the t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And then the writing, and then now trying to turn the writing into a book and you know all of that and then that ventures into um not dead yet and public speaking and all that stuff man and so it's it's just kind of compounded and it's not a thing that i would have ever imagined right like matt and brandon lily were two guys that i bought ebooks from and watched vlogs and stuff from five years ago now they're guys i talk to and hang out with yeah or see on a regular basis and run a business with one of them, you know? Um, and so, you know, life's wild and, and yeah. Well, the, I think the lesson with that is, you know, it ties back to what we said is taking that leap of faith sometimes and taking action and you, you wind up, um, you know, moving along somewhere in your life, you know, you, you reference being friends with some of these individuals that you either, you know, aspired or, or looked at to for certain things. Uh, one guy I had on my podcast recently, uh, Pete Rubish, uh, if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you know him from big powerlifting, like cult yeah. figure is how I would describe him. And uh, of all things, he's interested in me and follows me for running. Yeah, and I'm I like, man, I looked up to you for years for all the animal stuff, loved all those kinds of athletes and that grunge vibe and all of that. And then now I'm getting to have a conversation on my podcast about you you know and so it's like yeah. <laughs> it's just funny again through taking action uh you know nothing comes or nothing changes nothing changes it's that same concept so like you take action and uh you know worry about uh all the steps after the fact you know you don't have to have every every step figured out no it's, just, it's literally just just doing right like yeah i'll worry about step two when i get to it and sometimes it's not even step two i'm just right now i'm saying yes and i'm going yeah you know, uh, again, burn the gas. Like, Soren X has been a huge, um, we'll just say, thing for me, mm-hmm. right? Getting introduced to the Soren X family and going to Winter Strong and Summer Strong. Um, and just, again, like, just saying yes and, and, and showing up. And showing up yeah. in, in giving and not want. Yeah. Right? Like, I show up... To, you know, one of the first times I think I kind of encountered Matt, like in person, I was like, yo, like, what do you want me to do? How can I help? Not I'm here so I can, like, I don't need anything from you. It's the last thing I need. Like, I'm here because I want to be around people who can help add to my um, mental capacity, right? The, the thing, so the way I kind of tell uh, people, especially for business, but even for life, like, uh, if I'm here, I'm here because I like you. There's a relationship, there's a skill set or an experience I'm after. If I can fill one of those voids, I'm probably saying yes. Right? And so that's just kind of how I, how I started looking at everything. Somebody would go, hey, you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. Because there's a relationship there that I want to build. Or there's yeah. an experience. Because for me, life is experience in moments. I could 
there's not a lot of things I give a shit to buy about and buy things mm-hmm. for. Like I'm not a materialistic person. Don't get me wrong. There are things I like, you know, but um, there's not a lot. That's not my driver. My driver is I'm interested in experiences, memories, moments. People and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want to, you know, I have this vision right now of um, me and all my friends on a motorcycle tour in Vietnam. That's something that we're trying to make happen still. Yeah. You know, um, and we're, we're, we're a couple steps closer. And so, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those, those are, that's what I'm after. But as far as the war path and not dead yet and mm-hmm. uh, everything, it, it was all born out of this idea that um, I wanted to create something. I knew a little bit about like what I wanted to say. And so that started. And then I've always been a closet writer. Right, it's uh the probably the biggest admission or two admissions I've made lately have been that like I'll try to start calling myself a writer and a philosopher. Yeah. Right. Um, I wanted to talk about that because uh, I I'm in that same boat in a sense where it's like, at what point can you call yourself a thing? And then you realize it's all quite arbitrary, and you know the labels are different from person to person. For example. Yeah. I never called myself a runner and then people started calling me a runner way more than they called me a lifter, even though I lifted and still lift way more than I run. And, um, you know, or, or like, you know, the goofy example I always call out people on is they'll, uh, put CEO in their bio once they like create an LLC. And I'm like, well, I mean, it, you're a one person business, I guess you're the CEO, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, writer, you know, I, I feel like it's something that, you know, I talked about it. I do it. Bo does it. You obviously definitely uh, do it in a in a stronger pursuit than than I think uh, me and Bo. But it's something that I think I'm I'm very drawn to. So I wanted to ask you, like, what one what about that medium draws you in more than uh, directly speaking or even even podcast format? What about writing does that for you? Then also, you know, what is your attitude towards and, and the struggle? I guess with owning that title that, Hey, I'm a writer, I'm a philosopher and not worrying Mm. about what other people think. Um, well, the other people think thing is something, uh, I think I've been over for a while. Well, so I'll put it this way, just to interrupt you. I I don't mean in the sense that, cause I think neither of us are someone that's worried Mm -hmm. about the opinions of others, but all, but how I view it and what I guess holds me back from claiming certain terms um or at least has in the past is i don't want to seem full of myself by oh, yeah, yeah. by promoting myself as philosopher so i'm not worried about someone being like yeah i think that explains it <laughs> yeah so i get it so um one i'll say this man my my i've been on my little personal crusade to say fuck humble for a long time now yeah and not in a very egotistical way but like um the world's going to give you a lot of shit, man. And it has. It's given everybody that we know a lot of shit. That's not cool. And so I'm not interested in giving myself any extra shit or baggage that I have to. And so in saying that, if there's something that I want to embrace, I'm going to embrace it, right? It's like, um, at what point in time do you refute the data? Like, right, how many races have you run before you're like, I got to say I'm a, ride, a runner at this point. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's what the data says, regardless of how I feel about it. And I don't. And I honestly don't have any thing. I think the the closest I get to what you're saying and, and what I'm what I'll get to is like there are people that I look up to 
that if they said something, because they are that thing to me, then I might feel some kind of way about it. But that's just because you are the profession or you, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's probably the closest. And even then I've, I've encountered, like even dealing with Mike, Michael Easter, like he has never, you're not a writer or nothing like that. It's more like, Hey man, like how can I help you? He's always uh, charitable and interesting. And like how, this is how you should approach this. Um, the other thing is like too, the way I look at it is if I want to become a thing, I need to be a thing. Yeah. Be it before you become it. Yeah. Like, right. And so yeah. mm-hmm. one of the, like, here's a small one for me. I made sure now that I always have my, all my things that make me a writer, my laptop, my journal, my pens, they always come with me. I think me we have the same pen. Let me see it. I was going to yeah. point this out, but you were on a good ramble earlier. Is it, there's a little fine points. Yeah. This yeah. is a Copic multi-liner. Apparently they're for drawing. Well, but. I was about to say like, I, I probably have something very similar. They're like just super cheap made in China, but I got them cause they're easier to like underline certain things or write yeah. in the margins of my books without smearing. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I, I, I nerd out on that stuff, man. Yeah. But you got all your tools. Is your yeah. Point. But it, exactly. And that's yeah. the point is like, if I want to be this thing, then I have to actually like, um, spend time with it on it and in it. And so that's kind of been like the journey the past like year and a half, two years is, um, at first I wouldn't say it. I still don't really say it much, but I, I now like, at least I'll write it and I'll talk about it. I said it in your introduction. So it's official now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There it is. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, it's, it's one of those ones, man, where I, I just, I, I'm a firm believer that like when you, if you're going to do something, you just need to embody it, man. Let it change you. Um, yeah, it was, it was in a, you referenced him earlier. So, you know, James Clear is Atomic Habits. Mm. Um, I was at a conference a few weeks ago that, uh, it was about like philosophy and flourishing life and so forth. He was speaking at it. And, uh, one of the things he referenced that I'm sure is in his book was the idea of, you know, don't say I'm going to try to, uh, you know, to run or so forth, be a runner. You know, or, or you don't say I'm going to try and start writing, like be a yeah. writer and then, you know, write from there. So it's, it is just embodying that label and saying, I am this thing. Therefore, this is what I do. I'm a writer. So I write and that'll help exactly. kind of instill that, that confidence and that those habits. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that, that's kind of been the journey there. Um, as far as like why this media, man, like I don't Two reasons. Um, one, I just like the creativity of, of being able to express myself. Uh, well, I'll say three reasons, actually. So being able to just express yourself, I think that's key, right? But but being able to express yourself precisely. Yes, um, I was, yeah, I was going to say that. And so the way I, I think of it is um, I talk and I think I know something. I have a conversation. I realize I know less than I think I know. And then I write it and I realize I don't know a fucking thing. And then I endeavor to learn while writing. Uh, <laughs> right. What I what I found is uh, the podcast has taught me this, and it's like if there's one like mantra I could like tape to my computer when I do a podcast, it would be slow down because mm. I I talk and I ramp when I kn- I know it in my head, but as you mentioned, I don't have the precision, or sometimes on in that moment, the vocabulary to be as precise and intentional with my word choice as I mean to be. I mean, I just bought this 2000 page physical dictionary 
last week for that reason of like, and I signed up for Merriam-Webster's Word a Day just because I, I know words, I know how to read, but the more you can just be more, there's really no other word, precise with your word choice, you can be a lot better of a, you know, speaker of articulating your ideas and so forth. And yeah, so that's what I always fall back on to slow down. And writing gives you the the point to slow down because you are going, you know, word by word. I mean, you could kind of word vomit and then revise, but you have that chance to revise when you're speaking. Yeah. You don't have that chance. Yeah, being precise with our language, I think, is, is, is very important. It's one of the things I try to do. Uh, I'm not always great at it, even in speaking. Um, there's a quote, and I can't remember who said it, but you're, you're basically saying it right now. It said, it's the limits of my language uh, precede the limits of my world. Yeah, I think I've heard something similar. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like, it's, I call it thought mapping, but it's like, it's very hard to, you can't get certain concepts because you've just never been exposed to them. And sometimes you don't even know how to ask or talk about it because you don't have the vocabulary, the, the mental capacity, whatever. And then you hear it and you're like, oh shit. And then yeah. you, can, you can explore it more. Well, it is really so, funny, like philosophically, like the words, like words are just, uh, you know, noises and symbols that we've assigned to shared experiences or shared objects that we're like, okay, this is a bottle, this is whatever, this is this emotion, and so forth. And yeah, if you if you're limited, if you're restricted by your vocabulary, then you have no opportunity to really relay. Uh, what you're trying to describe to somebody or comprehend what someone's describing to you to the fullest extent. Yeah, it's like... Um, I almost call it, it's it's a hyperbole, but I almost call it like self-censorship. If you're not allowing yourself to fully maximize and expand your, your vocabulary, um, you know, you're you're restricting your speech. Yeah, you, know you are. And it's, it's one of those things, man, like you... Um, it's part art, part science, right? And in communication and, and being able to communicate, like being articulate enough to use certain words and describe certain things and understanding also like who you're talking to, how you're talking to them. And then, you know, I think when you're putting it on paper, that that's a bit different and it gives you the grasp when you, when you translate it to actually talking about a thing. You know, I, I talk in bits sometimes, right? Like, yeah. I've written about this thing so much that I know exactly what I want to talk about and how I want to say it and articulate it. And so um, it makes it easier for me to talk as well, you know? So I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, it's been a thing of clarity, though, for me, man. And, and it's, it's funny because it came from places I didn't think it would it meant anything because you know in the military like you're very specific with your words like kill means different than than destroy destroy means different than decimate if you say this this means this you know <clears throat> and so I never thought about it much until I started really digging into writing again and then I was like oh man like you know again like here's like the humble like definition of humble to have a understanding have a low the difference yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. having a low estimation of one's self right when people talk about humble, that's not what they think, but that's what the definition means. You I know? didn't realize that. Yeah, you're putting yeah. it that and, way. Yeah. And so when you, I mean, and, 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 it, and it gets wild too, because you can get, you can nerd out, right? And you can start talking about like the history of a word. Yeah. And not that it matters now, but it matters in this like weird. Well, it's like, you know, another one to throw out there, selfish, right? Like, oh, you, you're like interested in, in preserving yourself or your yeah. values. It's like, well, it sounds like a good thing, but we're taught, altruism altruism and in, in all areas of life and it's like well if you're self-sacrificing you know yeah yeah it's just in order to be selfless you must first be selfish 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One of those. Yeah. Um, so, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, I was going to read you one of your quotes actually and, and yeah. allow you to kind of expand upon. So in one of your posts, you said, a life lived with no regret seems to be outside the realm of reality, but I'm trying to make sure every regret I have is one I've earned. And so what I take away from that is this idea of not trying to live a, you know, regretless life, but kind of embodying those and accepting that they're part of part of reality. But feel free to expand upon what. what yeah, it's exactly about. that, man. Like you, um, you don't get away scot free, but in not getting away, in 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 earning my regrets, as I as I think of it. I want to earn my regrets with the utmost effort, right? I don't want anything left on the table. So um, next year, and I think it's March 2024, we're going to try and walk from Fort, from uh, Washington Monument to Fort Bragg or Fort Liberty or whatever they're calling it today. So 330 miles from D.C. to North Carolina uh, in 10 days. So it's 35 miles a day. And so the regret less here is to give everything I have. If I don't make it, I don't make it. But if I half-ass it, if I bullshit it, that's the true regret. And so I'm okay with regrets. I'm okay. They're going to happen. The things are things I'm not going to always hit my mark. But in trying to hit my mark, I've got to do everything possible or else now we're talking about true regret. We're talking about like what for me is the real essence of regret, of regret you know? It's regret yeah. less, you know, that, well, that's it. One, one key concept you talk about is the boatman and, uh, and staring mm. down death and making sure that when, you know, the reaper, the boatman, whatever you want to call it, comes that, you know, you have no regrets, that you have lived your life and done the things uh, that you want to do. Yeah. I mean, dude, like that one's the biggest one for me. It's one of the things that I started realizing. Like I, I look at it like my life is on borrowed time, right? As a guy who was suicidal, tried to commit suicide the whole nine. It's like, this is all gifted. This is all super fucking cool, right? But also in it being cool, I can make the experience cooler and better. And I can make that experience cooler and better by actually going after the things I want and, and being a dad, like to tie it all together, right? I want my children to be able to see that it's worth endeavoring to do something that's mm -hmm. hard that's not necessarily always good or uh not, not always good but not always fun right um and as far as the boatman's concerned it, it is exactly that it's that concept man that one day you're going to cross that river but i'll be damned if i go easy yeah i i i endeavor to lead a life full of commas Right. My my tombstone, I don't want it to read soldier. I don't want it to read dad. It should just be a series of commas. Lover, dad, friend, adventurer. And I think that's 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 my move, man, as far as like uh, how I want to live this life. I. Um, I want to run towards it, man. I, I don't like being afraid of things. When I'm afraid of things, I like to move towards it because I want to figure it out. Like, why am I afraid of this? Am I afraid of this? Is this just some something I made up because I saw it on TV or whatever? And I and I think the biggest fear for me is like a life in stagnation. Oh. 
Yeah, I, I, I like that you touched on, you know, you want those commas because that's, I, I think it's the same concept in my mind, but I, I just, you know, didn't have that verbiage to, to put it in my mind. But, uh, you know, I always think about just being multifaceted, having layers to you, you know, I think a lot of times, and this is what Instagram incentivizes, and it's something I've, I've wrestled with over the years, is uh, people want to know what they're going to get from you. They want to have one thing. They want to know Brock's a runner. This is the exact content he posts. He doesn't post any of his other interests or whatever. He's one thing. And I think from a business standpoint, that, that has value. But, you know, I've realized, like, one, I, I, I could give a shit about, you know, uh, inter internet fame or, or that or, you know, even wealth to an extent. Uh, but more so, I want to have... And people are more interesting when they have layers to you, when they are more than, you know, we're just talking about military stuff. When you have philosophical positions that, you know, you can speak from, when you have experiences, as we talked about, you know, experiences and moments in your life, and you are a writer, you're an entrepreneur, you're multiple things, you're a coach. And I think that's something I've just tried to add and, and make sure I'm not letting myself off the hook, but I'm continuing to kind of become that Swiss army knife, you know, of a person to where, you know, I, I, I lift, I run, I, okay, I do the podcast. I've owned a gym. I, I shit, I'll call myself a philosopher, a writer. Uh, I'm very interested in specialty coffee. You know, when you have more passions and interests, I think life is more enriching, but then you're also, uh, I think, a much more valuable and interesting person to speak to too when you have those different uh yeah you're like a, a multi-layered cake you know yeah i mean man like even in just building relationships right it's a lot easier to build relationships like um one of the best pieces of advice i've ever gotten was to use what you read so i met an old studies and observation group guy years ago and one of the things he said was like, when you read something, try to use it immediately. Try to implement it in the conversation or do the thing if it's an actual physical deal. And just using that in reference to relationships and building relationships. Like, so like I read Home and Garden, right? I'm, I'm at a waiting office and I read Home and Garden. And then a week later, I bump into a guy who likes petunias yeah. or roses. And now... I have a common bridge with this guy. Maybe I really don't know anything about roses, but I can be like, hey man, I read this thing. Does that work? I don't know shit about gardens. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's kind of like a seedling of what we're talking about here, but it's, yeah, it, it works it. so many ways. Yeah. And um, and not only that, man, the world's so, it's so big. It's, so, it's such a big world with so many wonders. And as a guy who like appreciates adventure, um, but not just adventure, like the small things. Like I said, like a long time, my, my goal was to fall in love with my life and, and falling in love with my life. A lot of that came from small things. Uh, I, I met a guy who, <laughs> he used to watch the sunrise every day in Afghanistan, old timer, right? And I met him because he, he would slam the door. He didn't realize he was slamming the door to, on the third floor to get to the fourth floor to watch the sunrise. So I go up after him one day, I'm pissed off, and I'm just like, why is this guy slamming the door? And so I go up, and he's an old-timer, and I just start talking to him. And he's like, man, I don't know how many of these I have left. I'm, I'm here to just watch this thing rise, even in this country where it's complete chaos right now. And it was such a uh, like step back and like, oh, this is a moment where you can like stop and be like, this matters. Yeah. Well, th there is a, I think a good, I was going to, 
bring this up earlier, but I think it fits. It's more apropos right now. Is uh, you have read any David Foster Wallace before? No. You heard of him? Yep. Yes, I, I would recommend checking out his book. So his, his most famous book is Infinite Jest. It's absolutely massive, and it's on my shelf right now. Uh, but I, I I need to find the right time to read it because it's like twelve hundred pages. But uh, I would recommend The Pale King. It was a uh, published posthumously so it was after he committed suicide but mm-hmm. uh it, it basically takes place and centers around uh the irs and, and employees there and there's a couple quotes that kind of jump out from it but when he says you know that was it in terms of the the ball game and the exam the life in general is uh you know what you will yourself to pay attention to or no it's what you pay attention to or what you will yourself not to um, mm. and, and what some of the concepts that come out of that book and also his commencement speech, it's like a 20 minute listen. So I'd recommend everyone go listen to it, but this is water he gave to, um, a college in 2005 or university. And, uh, it's, it's being very present and aware of the simple things. So as we talked about, you know, you referenced the sunrise, you know, you don't know how many you have left. Uh, you don't know how many warm showers, you know, how, how it seems so, uh, like an everyday occurrence for us, but you can choose to be hyper aware there. You can choose to be hyper present and conscious in that movement and, uh, you know, give meaning to it. You know, you can be in traffic and be angry and be like, oh, I got, got all this time. I'm trying to get home, get to the grocery store, whatever. Or you can kind of sit there and use that time and appreciate it. And it's, it's an attitude. That's all it is. And it's not magic. It's not something you can hold forever and in every moment. But it isn't like an attitude of... um yeah, just finding meaning in the monotony because that's why it takes place like the IRS is it's so much bureaucracy. It's so much just, you know, essentially bullshit when it comes to reality. Like these are just, you know, levels and, and organizations we've created to fund all these things. And, you know, you're just going through form after form and file after file, uh, but learning to almost uh, appreciate that and find, find beauty and, and meaning in the monotony is like the big message from that book. Yeah. I'll check it out. I wrote it down. I I, I look at that as the same way. Like I I find a lot of beauty in choice. Yeah. You know, I think um, so often we just kind of like, it's just a choice, no big deal. And then when you start realizing like how much or how important these choices are, how they color in your life, then it becomes a really big deal. And not just a big deal. Like it's kind of sexy if you really think about it. Like this is the thing that's going to, flavor the rest of this day or this attitude or whatever right um and it's like you said like perspective like i i drove an hour and a half to work every day for a year and a half in dc traffic i had a real easy choice to just be mad about it you know to just be frustrated and whatever but instead i took the choice to just plow through audiobooks podcasts and call friends and foster relationships right don't get me wrong, it was not always easy or fun or whatever, but I I I, I finished a shit ton of audiobooks, a yeah. shit ton of podcasts, and I've called a lot of friends and I think established or continued to maintain relationships that I truly value. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to quickly look up. Yeah, here we go. Cause I want I want to give a give all Schopenhauer a shout out one quote he has that I love too because you're referencing you know to, to me you're using your time you're not spending it and so he says mm-hmm. ordinary people merely think how they shall spend their time a man of talent tries to use it and um, I feel like you know 
you could spend like a whole whole podcast on that concept. But uh, the other thing too that I I was going to mention it just you know your mind goes all kinds of places. But the parable uh, from that this is water commencement speech. The parable goes like this: it, you know you got two younger fish swimming in the ocean, and uh, they they pass an older fish, and the older fish turns to the younger fish and goes, "Hey boys, how's the water?" And the younger fish nod their head. They swim along. And then, you know, a little bit later, the younger one looks over to the other and goes, what the hell is water? And the concept is you sometimes get so immersed in your own environment that you, you know, lose track of yourself and awareness. And you, you stop being really aware Amen. of the things around you. Um, so that I, I feel like, again, I'm not going to articulate as well as he does in his speech, but uh, I, I just love that. So that's good. I like that a lot, man. And, and it's it's. I mean, so much of like coaching and, 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 and mentorship and even your own personal life and growth and, and whatever is just that. It's just awareness. Awareness, yeah. Yeah, it's the aware of knowing yourself, right? Um, and awareness, I guess, allows you to choose and to make more intentional choices, you know? 100%. So it's all just interconnected. Yeah, if you're aware of like insecurities, problems, the way you short circuit things, like, um, Here's a great one for me, uh, just talking about training. If if I don't do core midline work up front, it's not getting done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Period. I get that. I'm the end. That. I know myself well <laughs> enough now that if my coach puts it on there and it's at the end of the workout, we just should move that up front. Oh, it's time to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's a simple one of awareness. You're just like, I know this. This isn't happening. So we'll do it now, you know. And I think the the greater and the the better you can do that, um, you know, the the way the more things can change. It's just like journaling. Like I talk to a lot of people about journaling, and they're like, "Oh man, I can't journal." And I'm like, "Hey man, you know what you should do? You should probably bring this with you everywhere, or stash them everywhere." Like what I started yeah. doing is, mm -hmm. I put one of these everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. That way, if I don't bring this one, which is the main one. I can we just have the, it. We got the same journal, I think. Let me see the front of it, or you might have stickers or whatever on it. I, it I put an Amazon thing. Pins. Yeah, this is one of the Amazon thick ones. Oh, it's a thick. Okay, it's probably yeah. the same one, just thicker. Yeah. Like, man, we're on the we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, man. Because what I was doing is I was carrying around a, a regular notebook, and then I was carrying around um, what I stumbled upon as a commonplace notebook. Yeah, yeah, commonplace yeah, book. And, I've heard of those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I was doing both, and then I was like, why don't I just buy a giant one and just split it in half? <laughs> but you know, it, it, I, I'm a big fan of that, like redundancy, opportunity, and just taking it, taking advantage. Like one of the best, another good, best piece of advice, I said that a lot. Um, my dad used to tell me, um, which is a great piece of advice if you're a soldier, bring a book everywhere you go. Right? And so now it's kind of evolved to have something to write on everywhere you go. These people were like, ah, oh, I can't journal. I don't want to journal. And I had a friend that's recently, it's great actually. He, uh, I don't, I don't get any points in journaling and everything else. And now calls me back and he's like, I hate to admit this man, but it's been one of the most beneficial things I've done this year. So. Well, I, I'll ask you, cause I, I tried dabbling a little bit with it. Um, and I obviously probably find different avenues to get some of the same things tackled, but it's not the same. So for example, I try and usually leverage my routines and habits because I'm a very habitual person. So I'll try and leverage those habits to add something new. For example, 
I was never good about reading consistently. And until I added it to my morning routine of coffee and breakfast and everything that I really look forward to, then it became automatic, never in doubt, never miss it. Um, and so it, to me, I just need to find the right time of my day to enter, have it interwoven into one of those habits. But how do you journal? Because I know some people go off prompts, whatever. What is your thought process on it? Because for the week or two that I did it, I was mainly just riffing off topics or concepts. I wanted the excuse to explore more in my head. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with that. So I do, I did a, a bit of all of it, man. Right. Um, when I was in crisis, I was journaling to ex understand that I wanted to know what triggers or whatever you want to call it were setting me off. Was it people? Was it me? Um, so I was writing all the time and then I would review it in 30 days and be like, Oh, you're the asshole. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, um, I, I did a lot of prompts for a long time. I still do prompts. I write a lot of prompts for other people. Um, and a lot of it now is more of what you're saying. It's just a, a chance for me to explore an idea, a concept. Um, I want to know how I truly feel about something. Yeah, that's that's what I've found is like there's some topics like I mentioned masculinity where it's like I have these like loose, quick sentences or things I'll think about or I'll kind of come back to as my view on something. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, well, let me like really explore it. And I think the perfect excuse uh to kind of really sit down and hash it out sometimes is writing or journaling yeah that's 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 what it's become for me and yeah. it's kind of become a catch-all like there's everything from just like today was like what i try to do um this one i've been really poor at but I, I'm, I'm trying to really double down on this one is like catching good days right um yeah i want to catch good days you mean days I, where you have like, uh, you know, profound things to say? Or yeah, profound yeah. things or days that don't, they don't blend in, right? Yeah, I know um, what you mean. Yeah. Like, I want to capture those a bit more because I think, you know, and I just probably sound a little woo-woo, but whatever. Like, I think there's a bit of magic in that, man. There's a bit yeah. of, like, I, I, I have a couple, like, really core memories that stand out. Um I remember standing on North Shore the first time I felt like I've ever found a place that was home. And I was just like, whoa. And like I didn't journal then, but I can only imagine the what would have came out now when I think about that day. Um, you know, I did journal this day, the day that I left Afghanistan for the last time. Right? Like I know what that means. I know what it thinks. I know what I know what I felt, smelled. In that moment. Yeah. yeah, in that moment. And so I want to I want to do a better job of capturing those. Like I had a day recently, um, and I did. I did a good job of it. Uh, my kids were so happy. I, 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 I'm not a very um, emotional man in certain, in certain ways, and in certain ways yeah. I'm a super emotional guy. I am with yeah. my, uh, with, I feel like, uh, my woman, you know, yeah, or like, yeah, 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 very particular situations. I'll ball my eyes out. Anything other than that, I'm like, yeah. uh, you know, stonewall. It's, it's been interesting. <laughs> That's a whole nother thing for me to go from like not very emotional to super emotional about things. Yeah. But so my kids, we're all coming, but we're, everyone's in the car. We're driving back from flag. My kids, both of them were playing flag football. 
and I have my sunglasses on and they're in the back seat and they're singing their asses off. Like we're playing, I'm playing Kid Cudi. I didn't know they knew the song and they're singing like yeah. whatever. And it was just such a happy moment. And I'm like literally crying like tears of joy, man. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you this know, is the and good I, shit. yeah, yeah. And I was like, and those are the things now where I'm trying to stop and write about or Try picture or something, you yeah. know, because um, as, as I said earlier, you know, like right, if I look at life as a collection of moments, memories, and experiences, I don't think, and I make this, you know, joke quite often that when I'm on my deathbed, I don't think I'm going to remember the night I went to bed at 830. Yeah. Right. The nights and things that I want to think about are those days. Like, you know, the happy, some of the, some of the, you know, memories I love the most is having all of my kids together. Right. And, um. The, the, so that's the thing I, I, I'm trying to do a better job when it comes to journaling. But a lot of it is just ex- exploration, knowing myself, knowing a topic that I want to talk about or think about. or, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. And, and then, like I said, if I'm, if I'm having an issue or problem, I go to the journal first and then yeah. try and work it out from there. And that way, kind of like we talked about earlier, now I have the language to say, hey, Brock, like, I'm, I got this problem. Yeah. I don't necessarily know how to wrestle with it, but here's what I got. And then you can actually give me real feedback because I took mm-hmm. the time to, to think about it. Yeah. Well, I want to know what's next for you. You referenced a book, um, and I think one of the podcasts, when I was doing a little recon work for this conversation, uh, you, you referenced the book, I think, like close to a year ago. So I imagine it's something you've been working on. Obviously, it doesn't come immediate. So, uh, you know, what's next for you with the book, but then also, you know, with the apparel uh, what do you got going on with that? So apparel, we're just, we just started selling shirts again. Uh, we took uh-huh. a break. And so now we're getting back to doing a, a drop probably every month, probably every month, every month and a half, every, something like that. Um, and so I'm excited about that because I, I love the designs and shirts. And so far, people like them. It's just getting them into, into everyone's hands. Um, and then the podcast is probably the, bigger, the biggest deal we have. Um, completely unreasonable, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the completely unreasonable tour. Yeah. yeah, and so we do online episodes like this, and that's fine. But we have a bigger uh, vision that we're trying to get to, and that's where we're going to show up, and we'll go hang out with a person and do what it is they do. So, like, yeah. we come out and hang out with you. We're kind of like uh, Cam Haynes, like his like yeah. uh, run, yeah. shoot, lift, all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is we're not we're doing what they do. Oh, I see. So, Adopted so if there. I come hang out with you and you want to run, we're going to go run as poorly as I run these days. We'll do it. Yeah, right? Um, like, yeah. And then we cook, and then we podcast. Oh, I like that. And so um, we're, we're trying to I think to that'll create with, better conversations, too, when you really get to, you know, not only embody that person's environment, uh, but, but you know, you're out there training with them, doing something. Uh, you, you get to know them on a deeper level. Um, and see, you know, how they tick and so forth. I think there's something to shared suffering and meals. Yeah. One of the things I, I noticed and learned in the military is like, there's a, when you suffer with someone and then share a meal with someone, especially if you can make the meal, um, there's something that happens there where people are willing to talk to you and tell you things that they probably weren't willing to do before. Yeah. You know, and so that's the goal. Um, 
we're supposed to actually be heading out to your direction to Colorado, Denver, Colorado Springs area, and then Vegas for Michael Easter. And um, yeah, so we can get the big episodes rolling. I'm excited about that. And um, yeah, and then the book, as far as the book's concerned, I took a big break with it because it didn't. It ended up becoming exactly what I didn't want it to be, which is a memoir. Yeah. Right? I started uh, writing yeah. it, and it started becoming a memoir, which turns out I just needed to write some shit about myself to get it out. And now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so now we're back to writing what I wanted to, which is basically a guide to um, help guys dig out from when they're feeling shitty, right, mm-hmm. um, or depressed, or whatever you want to call it. Um, because I was talking to a friend and he was like, you know, I think everything you're saying is perfect. He's like, but the, everyone can't get in front of your face. Everyone can't. Can't be everywhere at once. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone can't buy your coaching services. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. what's the easier way to get more people to read this or more people, get it into more people's hands and minds. And so that's where we're at. Um, and then the, the other big thing right now is, um, the walk we're going to do this walk from um washington dc to to fort bragg Bragg. when are you doing that huh when are you doing that uh next march march 2024 and so we're setting it up right now doing all the planning but we're trying to raise money um trying to get so a couple of events to coincide yeah with it so basically like the idea would be like we'd walk into whatever town and there's a small event that's happening as we're walking in we're no we're not the focal point but just to be a part of it and bring some folks yeah. together and raise some money for well, man, we, we'll have to stay in touch on that because i feel like you know with with like a whole i guess what like eight eight funds or something like that um and you basically you, you'll march to virginia at some point i'd love to kind of be a part of that in some way and help out any way i can so I'll dude that would be awesome that. like we are yeah. literally trying to get folks to come out and do a leg like bo's already said he's coming to do a leg all right, then I'll, I'll be there then. Yeah, just yeah Matt, at some point, Matt's you know? coming to do a leg. And um, I think we got some pretty interesting ways to kind of raise money for it that we're trying to do. You know, I won't say all of them, but we got one where we're going to have people bet on us or against us. Yeah. And so. Bet on um, me against Bo. That's what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, no, I'll definitely, I'll definitely. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch on that. Yeah, um, that would be where, awesome. Where can uh, people find you, man? Uh, a traveling man on Instagram. Uh, we are warpath.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done it yet, so I won't say it, but I'm going to start a Substack, I think, and uh, move yeah. my blog to Substack instead of on my website. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a good move. And I, I, I want to do more of my Substack too. I just, I just got to say fuck it more often. I'm, I, here's the problem. So I'm not deep enough into influencer stuff that my, my income doesn't ride on it. I'm not solely dependent on it or anything like that. So this is like nothing anchoring me in that in that like dependent way. But I almost have this fear where it's like if I go in more with with Y direction, if I pivot in, and do more writing, like people are just gonna be like, "Hey, this isn't like what I came for." Check out, unfollow, whatever. But then my my, you know, I, I'm like a pinball. But then I go and I'm like, well, you know who really gives a shit? This is about like me and what's my passion. I'll probably create a new audience from that, you know? Yeah. So, I think I mean, that's the move. Yeah. I think the move is two things, right? Your audience grows with you or you find a new audience or, yeah. or it's just a thing you do. Yeah. And if people stumble upon, like that's for me, a lot of the writing is that it's like, um, I'll promote it. Don't get me wrong. But like, 
this is just something that's going to get done regardless. Well, it's just my thing. My thing, it goes back to labels like we talked about. I do not want people to meet me or introduce me to somebody or introduce me on a podcast and be like, oh, he's an influencer. Oh, he's a runner. Like, those aren't the titles I want to be assigned to me, you know? Those aren't the accolades that I want. Those aren't the commas that I want, you know, yeah. the boatman to read. So it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't give a shit what company could pay me whatever to promote products and how, how whatever my following is on Instagram. Influencer is not something I uh, aspire to be. So it's just one Agreed. of those things that just having that awareness, I guess, is, is going to force me at some point to go more all in with that. I think, I think I... I never consider it. What I consider is um, just what I want to do, right? Uh, and then yeah. if you if you believe me to be that, I'll probably prove you wrong. And if not, I'm not really concerned. Like um, the thing uh, I I've been kind of chatting about a lot lately is the identity of having no identities. Yeah, well, there's, yeah, God, I right. feel like we'll go forever. Yeah, it was this one girl I was listening to on this other podcast I listened to from time to time, and yeah, she was, like, proudly undefined. Like, and she meant it mainly from, I think, a political and ideological stance, but she was like, I'm not, I'm not right, left, I'm, you know, any particular issue that comes up, I'll address it in a particular stance. I'm not going to generalize, I'm not going to fall back on a certain, you know, yeah. political party or any kind of camp. And uh, yeah, same deal. Like I want to be, yeah, undefined. The only problem is like trying to sell yourself from an undefined standpoint is difficult. But again, it leads to conversations like this. I found you anyway. <laughs> yeah, there it is. So there we I go. Appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, please uh, give Hansi a follow. Check out his stuff. Uh, grab a shirt. All that jazz. I'm sure the podcast. Follow it, and I uh, will catch you guys in the next one.